welcome. You are listening to the Mantic Universe podcast. I'm Chris, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, Clem. Hi, everyone. And my good friend, Mark. Hey, everybody. And joining us, we're very, very lucky today to be joined by Mike Carter. Hi there. And Fred in Oslo. Hello. And we did have Steve Hildrew in a... Uh, in a, on a, in a secret black site, uh, Maison Labs black site. But uh, unfortunately, he's not available to join us tonight. So that's a shame. I hope he's fine. Um, he got to talk a lot last time, though, to be fair, Chris. <laughs> it's hard to stop him, to be fair, once you get him on. So let's, uh, let's uh, see what we're talking about today. So welcoming on the menu, which is what we're doing now, dear listener. We'll go through our introductions. Mantic News, our Warpath Firefight. Our Warpath Dead Zone, our panel law, which this month will be the Twilight Kin uh, law. And we'll go through listener questions. And uh, yeah, fantastic. So um, I just wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping before we started. So, dear listener, where you're listening to this, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us five stars if you think it deserves it. And if you can even write us a little review, we would greatly appreciate it. We're currently uh, on iTunes. We've currently got two written reviews, one of which gave us five stars and one gave us one star. So, you know, if we could get a few more on there, it would definitely help. Something to do with the algorithm. Obviously, we don't understand it. Uh, next point is um, competition winner. So we, we had a competition a couple of months ago for uh, to name a new character in Rob Berman's new book. And uh, <clears throat> I was going to randomise the and, and thank you, everyone, for for participating and, and submitting an entry. I was going to randomise it, but I'll be completely honest. I picked the one I liked the most and the window was Brandish Truckle. Like uh, Blake, uh, is it Schroeder or Schroeder? Apologies if I got that wrong. Uh, so congratulations, Blake. And I've sent that on to uh, Mr. Berman. So your, your uh, Brandish Truckle will be in the next book. Congratulations. Um, great news this week after Steve's persistence with Ronnie. So we have a Mantic uh, web store discount count code, which will be good for the next few weeks. So I don't know how long it will be good for, but at least a couple of weeks. And it's, I don't know if it makes any difference, but all uppercase, universe 15, as in 1-5. Uh, it's one per customer, so um, please make sure you fill your basket up that first time. Ah. And um, I wanted actually, Mark, to just talk a little bit more. So we started doing MUP shorts, but we haven't really explained to the dear listener exactly what that is. So, Mark, do you want to just explain a little bit what MUP shorts are and why we're doing them? Sure. Yeah. MUP shorts is uh, something new we're doing here on the show, and it's not three hours long. So, if you'd like to get your uh, dose of MUP and uh, not have to uh, play it over three days, yes, you can do that. So, unless you're an ultra fan, I guess you can do it in a day. So, but, uh, yeah, Chris and Clem kicked us off from Warhammer World with a quickie, and then um, Gad and I did a couple. So hopefully you can go check those out. Uh, we talk about all the armies, and then we also talk about um, the campaign that just wrapped up that Mantic ran for Kings of Lore, so Shadowed Horizons. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. So uh, hopefully you'll be enjoying those. People seem to be enjoying them so far. So I'm already lining up a couple more. And, uh, yeah, so those will be popping out as, you know, news reviews, something happens, and, uh, you know, we'll try to get those out for you. 
What I particularly like, Mark, is so when most people have that conversation about, are there too many armies in Kings of War? Um, inevitably, they're saying, oh, Brotherhood is too similar to Basilia or whatever. And there's Mark going, well, I love all the armies. You know, I wouldn't get rid of any of them. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> I will love them all. Keep them there. So, but I think if, it's, um, yeah, so there's a, sorry, Mark, don't let me. I was going to say, if they didn't want the balancing headache, they wouldn't have created all the different armies and things like that. So, you know, I mean, if they didn't want to add a halfling army, they didn't have to. They could have put out Roria and things would have been just fine. But, you know, they came up with the new fluff, the lore. They put it out. And after reading the Cock 24 lore for the Twilight Ken, I'm uh, wondering when a new army is going to be coming out. So we'll talk about on. more about that later. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and yeah, and just to Mark's point about Mup Short, so it's a it's a conversation we've had. It's very much Mark's idea. Um, obviously, it allows us to be a bit more agile and respond to things a bit quicker. So it's not this massive behemoth that's a monthly uh, commitment. Um, and if we miss a recording day, then it's a you know a big effort with so many people on the call. Um, and the other thing is is if you're listening to this and you have a, a topic you'd like to do as your own muck short uh, there's absolutely no reason you can't just message us on facebook and ask hey i've had this idea uh, would you be interested maybe you can borrow myself or mark or whoever from the main pod and uh, and make it happen so uh, feel free to get in touch um, our email address as well as manticuniversepodcast at gmail.com so uh, yeah we very much you know it can be interviews it can be as we say, community episodes. So we, we really want to sort of democratize this. Is that a word? Yeah. So please feel free to get involved and um, very much looking forward to having people's content and ideas and all the rest of it. It's very exciting stuff. And the other thing I've it been is. thinking about. Well, thanks, Glenn. Thanks, buddy. So, um, dear listener, we all love dice, right? D6s, you know. Get over to the Baron of Dice website and they are, you know, as I described them, the Rolls Royce of Dice and uh, use the uh, store code Mantic Universe with a big M and a big U, if that makes any difference whatsoever, for a massive 5% off your order. And um, if you're in the market for some lovely um, STL files, Corvus Terrain have got, got you covered. Head over to their web store and use the code MU Podcast 15. I don't know if it makes any difference, but big M, big U, big P uh, to get 15% off. Fantastic. Should we move on to Mantic News? Did you present everyone that is uh, no, joined no, us today? No, I didn't. No. Why don't you do that now, Chris? <laughs> That's a good idea. At least we got to say hi. <laughs> it's more than most people get. So mm-hmm. um, let's, uh, I'll put myself on mute, dear listener, and um, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and uh, why you love Mantic so much? Well, I'm a, a Pathfinder from the U.S. Um, I've been a Mantic fan, Mantic maniac, Mantiniac. Um, wow, since uh, before Kings of War came out, um, I remember seeing Ronnie at, I believe it was the Origins, in fact, and he was at the Mantic booth and he had an Abyssal Dwarf starter army. Um, and I was like, cool, I could use these for Chaos Dwarves for my Warhammer army. So I bought it, opened up, looked at it. They had some rules in it, and I realized even those rules, this wasn't anywhere near enough to do an army. So the next year when I saw them again, I bought another one. Um, and then I eventually got dissatisfied with GW 
um, for multiple reasons we won't go into, and decided, hey, I want to support Mantic, put my money where my mouth is, and uh, became a Pathfinder. And that was 10 years ago. And Michael is known as the Pathfinder extraordinaire. Yeah, he's a legend, right? (laughs) He's a legend in my mind. (laughs) A legend in your own mind, Mark. That's right, exactly. Uh, I mean, you haven't even mentioned your blog, man. No, I tried to do a little bit. Yeah, I tried to do a little blog. Um, It's at untilsomebodyloseseneye.net. A lot of it is model reviews and tournament wrap-ups for the tournaments I run. Um, Occasionally, there's some book reviews in it. In assembly guides as well. They've saved my ass so many times. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I tried to show you how um, I failed to put things together right the first time so that you won't have to. Um, I did notice for the new Twilight Kin that um, Mantic has actually put nice full res pictures of both sides of their sprues on the site, which makes me wonder what I'm going to do now when they come, when I get mine here in a couple of weeks. <laughs> legitimately Clem has mentioned on the pod previously that your guide saved him I think you were building or was it a, a flyer from um, from Firefight or something like that I think it was the um, the the Hornet what's the what's it. name yeah, yeah the big it flyer exactly. it was like I, I can't figure where this part and this part goes and uh, I think Mark mentioned your blog again because I'd seen it already for the 1000 points demo armies because you're also the crazy guy that does uh, demo armies with 10 people at a time uh, when uh, <laughs> the rest of us do only one at a time. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, no, your instructions really self- uh, saved me. So thanks again. Thanks. Actually, that was a tricky one. I had to go back and talk to some of the people at Mantic on what a couple of the parts were. I had no idea myself. Uh, I know one of them is a hook that goes inside the body of it where basically the guys would hook their weapons onto it or, or whatever. And when I saw that, I was like, I have absolutely no idea what this is supposed to be or where it goes. And I talked to Pat and he said, Oh yeah, that's what that is. I'm like, well, thank you. That's obvious. <laughs> oh yeah. That, you're filling, filling that gap that uh, Mantic has with uh, the instructions and yes, they've heard us, but I'll tell you what, absolutely required you know, um, building the Nyad Worm Riders and, I mean, everything. You know, Thunder Sears. I mean, if there's a model kit that comes out, I look at it, I'm like, holy crap, where's Mike's blog? <laughs> so, I'm sure he's built it, so. <laughs> Whatever I can get my like hands bat, on. Like a bat sign you can send up. Mike, you need it. Whatever Absolutely. I get my hands on, I'll, I'll try to get up there and build, um, which is, is actually kind of... Uh, showing that I've been a little lax in posting for a while because I haven't got anything new in in several months since, uh, well, at least Gen Con. Fantastic. And then super, and then someone, uh, and then finish off the introductions, someone I was extremely happy to to meet at Clash of Kings, and it sounds like we shared COVID, is Fred. Hey, Fred. Yeah, hi, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, great to meet you. Uh, um, I mean, Clash of Kings UK is always a great place to be, to meet uh yeah everyone basically <laughs> in the in the community yeah no so yeah i'm fred from oslo um you know did some podcasts back in the day i'm the lone survivor of the original giant dwarf uh, cast rest in peace lars uh today is actually his date of death the f- uh, october 14th so you know oh, rest in peace, buddy. That, buddy. uh so but yeah so uh did don't do that podcast anymore but uh 
I love being involved in the game. I run I run tournaments here in Norway, um, at least one annual one, um, Kings of Oslo. I run in January. So and uh, yeah, just pretty much um, try to keep the Kings of War scene running and you know as vibrant as possible here in Norway, really. Uh, and we've been doing that since we started really early, you know, uh, when Kings of War came out, second edition in 2015. We st- we ran our first event in uh, October 20, uh, 2015, <laughs> so we got a kickstart on that, and um, that's I think that's the reason why you you can see Kings of War in Norway, but it's much less of it in Sweden and Denmark, for instance. Um, it's, I think it's because they didn't really get a tournament scene going, but we just got that tournament scene going like immediately. So yeah, that's really helped to, to put us on the map, and people know that there is things were going on at least in Oslo and also in Bergen on the west coast. It's like our two our two main places of uh, of Kings War. And oh, uh, speaking of Bergen, um, I know a, a friend of mine, Jürgen, he is a big fan of a of a motto that Mark Zelinski usually says, or at least used to say on the counter charge. And uh, Mark, are you are you on? If Mark Zelinski is on, could you tell us what the, the best color is? Uh, who's he the is. best color? Best color? Oh, best for co- your models? Yeah. Finished. Best <laughs> done. Color is, the best done. color is done. Yeah. <laughs> that is right. <laughs> that is a motto that um, uh, many of us have loved to to, to use. And uh, at least Jürgen is using that often to create entire armies in the same time that other people just paint one unit. He, churns out an army and he quotes you saying the best color is done there you go my hero you're good way <laughs> to go man <laughs> yeah, yeah. From Bergen. nice Oop. and um <clears throat> and fred how many people do you typically get then for for your events and tournaments in norway um well if it's a if it's a smaller one like a one day or something uh we can get like 12 14 players um Kings of Oslo. Last time we were 26 or 28, so it's a fair crowd. Uh, of course, we had some help. We had uh, um, from from England. We had uh, a couple of guys coming over. Todd and uh, Rob were over, and we had um, uh, a Swedish guy come up. We had a Spanish guy come up, um, and also people from Bergen and Trondheim. Uh, but when we all come together, yeah, it's uh, 20 plus. So um, maybe we'll hit 30 one of these years. <laughs> amazing and is there anything that can be done you mentioned a couple of countries that are kind of near to you that don't get such good turnouts is there something well, that could be done to build those communities do you think well i had the pleasure of meeting some swedes uh, at clash of kings this year as well the lindemans and uh, i've been i've invited them to come up of course and also sent invitations to some of the danes i mean the danes to be fair they actually have been up here to play uh, twice so it's not like they don't they don't play at all but um maybe they don't have any central locations running tournaments uh i know in sweden there are people playing king's war in sweden but they're a bit spread out um so every time someone tries to host an event it seems like it's too far to drive for most people so it's hard for them to get a like a centralized location that's so yeah and and denmark uh, maybe the same i mean there's a guy karsten is running things in copenhagen so he's he needs people to maybe drive in and actually visit the copenhagen tournaments but i'm hoping one of these years we can get a tournament going in sweden or denmark so that would be fun i'm sure i could i'm sure i would go down and I'm, I'm, some of the guys here in oslo might join we could be like 
four or five maybe going down to to Sweden or Denmark for an event that would be cool. That's also that not far from Berlin, so Frankfurt is also not that far. Mm, so, that is yeah, true. That is like true. Yeah. Like you know, I ha- I actually have been looking at uh, a German tournament. Um, I'm mo- mostly keen on if there is a Hamburg tournament that's uh, that matches my calendar because that's uh, that's the shortest drive for me. That's like the first city you hit and you drive south from Denmark, isn't it? Um, but Berlin and such would be a much longer drive. Yeah, it's a couple more hours, two or three hours uh, from uh, Hamburg to Berlin. But yeah, I think there is a good community in Hamburg as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sure, they have run events. I so mean, yeah. I was, yeah, I'm yeah. always looking at the, I am looking at their dates often actually. It's just that it hasn't clicked yet. It hasn't matched my plans. But uh, I am keeping my eyes out constantly for like Northern European events, um, and I'm not a stranger to going there. So. Um, you know, I do love, I love traveling to tournaments. That's like my main, <laughs> that's my thing. <laughs> I think it's great. It's a good uh, occasion to see different communities and, uh, uh, visit a new place a little bit, but yeah, also see different ways of playing the game and, uh, having an yeah. awesome time. So yeah, it's a, it's a good, uh, it's a good thing to do. So should we move on to Mantic News? Do it. Mantic News. So, um, yeah, we don't have much in the, in the notes here, so I'm hoping someone has a better memory than me. So I got a massive box in the post, and it was the terrain crate. And, um, yeah, so I got uh, three mats. I thought, actually, I, I had six mats coming, but I think, actually, I got some last year in a Black Friday sale. I got some other mats, so I only ordered three. Uh, and I got two boxes of the um, sci-fi terrain stuff. And last night, actually, my wife was out for dinner in Frankfurt with some friends, and it was me and the kids in, on the kitchen table painting the uh, the new Mantic sci-fi terrain. We had a lovely old time. Obviously, at the end, I kind of, uh, you know, uh, took everything and did a little bit of cleaning up because my son's three. So, you know, you can only expect so much. Um, but I'm really, really, really impressed. Um, really like it. Did, did anyone else get some? Yeah, I got also, um, like, one mat of the forest stuff and uh the two terrain crate boxes i also got trees in them it's a massive amount of trees and they look pretty cool Uh, i haven't assembled any of it yet but uh, i really like it the other thing that i got is the neoprene templates um like for forests and difficult terrain and uh they're maybe a tiny bit small for what I would want, but I really like the idea. And uh, now I want to build uh, 3D toppers, like uh, same shape in 3D to look pretty and not play with a flat table. Uh, but at least when you when a unit enters the forests or the difficult terrain, then whoop, you can remove the 3D topper and have the unit positioned properly. And then there's no question about it. What will so you make that out of, Clem, the topper? Um, I think I'll just laser cut the same shape in MDF and then go crazy and uh, put some of the trees that we got or, you know, random 3D printed bits. Clem, you can see the next question coming, can't you? Yeah, I think I can uh, I can send you a few of these. I can also probably post uh, DXF or SVG files on the, the Facebook group once I uh, once I clean it up. And uh, yeah, that's the beauty of having uh, your own laser cutter. Uh, it's easy to to make cool stuff. And uh, it actually made me think for the um, for the club. I kind of want to buy 
a full mat and just cut it myself and make my own shapes. Because um, when you when you think of it, like uh, you can make a bunch of uh, terrain shapes with a even just a three by three mat, like the cheapest mat that you can find. If you cut this one into small shapes for forests or difficult terrain or hills, uh, yeah, I think you're 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 set for life for a few tables. And um, yeah, the only thing that I, I think is sad is there is no hill uh, shapes in the stuff that Mantic is currently selling, and uh, I think they should uh, they should fix that. Agreed. And uh, that also makes me think of a question for for Fred, but the the Epic Dwarfs maps. What do you guys have about the number two? Because everything <laughs> is two <laughs> of. What's wrong uh, with three, man? Oh, I thought you meant the map number two. No, 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 no. Like because all, map number all of two the is map. the is the infamous uh, cock and balls map. Ah no, I I'm not, I don't know them so well to. to <laughs> oh, I know that one. I that hate that one. A good one. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, I just mean like, why are, are there only two forests, two hills, two mm. walls, two impassable? I think the idea was that if you have that number of um, terrain, then you could randomize whichever, and it would work with your current terrain collection. Um, so it was just to set like a number, like this is what you need, and if you have that, then it doesn't matter which table you roll, you can use what you have. Is uh, attempt to standardize, I think, the, just the number. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, you can't ask too in-depth questions about it because those maps were something Lars mixed up in, you know, oh, many right. years ago. And, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, there was just a cheap uh, a cheap dig. Like, uh, why didn't you make it free so that yeah. we have uh, more full tables? But that, you know, that's all right. I, I, I don't I mean it seriously. I encouraged, uh, you know, m myself, I, I always found that there were too few obstacles on those maps myself. So uh, in my event, I usually add uh, at least one obstacle to each map, for instance. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, there's definitely room to 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 add more to it. Um, so, yeah, uh, like maybe one round you could add a forest or something, but uh, they're a nice uh, core set uh, at least. So. Yeah, Mike has yeah. his hand up. Uh, yeah, let, I just wanted to jump in and say I love those maps. I use them now for all my tournaments and all my events um, simply because they are fairly balanced. They take care of things like you don't have hills in your deployment zones. Yeah. Um, and I've run into people that don't use that, and you end up getting that and having somebody with a unit of archers <laughs> or a war machine on a hill starting turn one yeah. uh, is never fun for the opponent. Uh, yeah, you're right. So, yeah. Except for mat number two. Yeah, that one. Matt. It I let you know when I first saw. Ha, huh, that's funny. That's cute. I tend to start my starting with number one when I go through and put my mats out, and it's like, yeah, that's the last mat I want to use. It's not balanced. Yeah. Doesn't work. It's a bad joke. Um, yep, it's a bad joke. It was me and Bjorn who, who made that. It was a tournament that my friend V Dog uh, had in November. 2015 i think and um or maybe it was 2016 anyway he said okay guys for this round you're going to make your own tables and there's a prize for the best table don't make anything stupid and me and bjorn looked at each other and we made the cock and balls map and said haha v dog how about this and he just walked over he looked at us very 
sad and disappointed and he walked away again like it's like he you, doesn't know you, you at all <laughs> 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 and lars thought that was so funny he, he actually added it to the map pack it's it's, it's an in joke it's a it's a taunt to v dog really <laughs> Uh, yeah. So yeah. But thanks for the for your words, uh, Mike. Yeah. What's fun is that the, that pack was such. Um, I mean, it was a relatively quick thing that Lars made, but it it has such quality that it it endures even you know six years, seven years later. It's still a, a solid product, and people can say, yeah, you know, it's. Um, it's not per- maybe you know we want you want maybe to spice it up somehow and you you know you can make other more exciting maps but it's just so solid and uh, yeah it gets the job done and it's it's really fun that it's still and and it also yes yeah, cemented those uh, concepts of keeping hills out of the deployment zone uh, so stuff like that Ke- uh, have have uh, as much as the terrain as possible in towards the center of the table not just you know don't hide it in the corners because it will never make a difference if it's there you know you need it in the in the killing grounds so to speak and th- this is what was a conversation that we had a lot with people in the early rules uh, co- committee like nick and dan and they were all they were always talking about these things on the you know on the four foot snake podcast and stuff like that so uh, we just did those uh, put those things into play on the maps because we agreed so much uh, with those um, you know with those uh, rules uh, or um, yeah so uh, when it's, it's later it's become of course uh, more written in you know they, they put pen to paper and put it in their rules that hills should never be in the deployment zone for instance but we just thought that was such a good rule to have that we just put it in our maps anyway because yeah you could really get screwed if uh, if you put put your terrain, give um, I mean, you could argue that it's fun to have an a map where the, maybe there's a hill in one of the deployment zones because then the roll for side becomes more exciting. You know, you know what I mean? It's that's a dis- discussion to have, of course. If if you really want it to be balanced and mirrored at all all times, or if you want more skewed maps, I guess that's the that's the next level of that debate, I suppose. Uh, I also Mike? wanted to. Uh mentioned where Clements had asked about the having pairs of everything. Uh, one of the great things that I like about it is you have a set of terrain per table and you can use them with any of the mats. So I've got a bunch, well, six bins with four tables in each of, you know, eight yeah. hills and eight blocking and eight obstacles and eight woods and everything. And it doesn't matter which mat I'm putting them on, which map I'm using it on. I know I always have the right stuff for it and everyone can always be different than it because you never know which mat is going to end up with which map. Mm, yeah. yeah, that's great. Clem. Yeah, I know that's, uh, I, I just wanted to, to say I'm joking about, uh, about the maps, but uh, they are very useful. And uh, I remember also when starting the game and you don't really know what you're doing and you just have no idea exactly how to set up a table that actually works and gives you a good gaming experience and uh, i found this resource and it, it was uh, helpful so yeah, yeah, yeah i'm nice. joking about it but yeah definitely i think yeah, it helps um, I get it. also i mean i think we forget um but as a new player you just have no idea how anything is done and so any resource that really guides your hand even on on some things that might sound trivial for veterans uh, i think is a very useful tool and actually yeah, helps true. the community so yeah that's a good point clem like uh, if you're starting this game like how should it, how should a table look like <laughs> where should i put my stuff i suppose yeah 
just this is how you not just that also uh what terrain do i need to build yeah, or exactly. buy before i can start playing this game mm-hmm. you know yeah that's true uh, also yeah i guess I, we should i should thank dash 28 for um, actually hosting those maps now because uh, that's where they live now on the dash 28 websites if anyone are wondering yeah that's fred, true yeah <clears throat> fred let's so, at least wait for the kings of war section but then maybe we can talk about your website <laughs> yeah, no, it's not my website, but yeah. Uh, Clem, could I ask you, um, those neoprene mats you talked about, uh, that, that's news to me. Is that a product Mantic makes now? Yes, it is. I think you can uh, pre-order them, um, the current wave alongside the Terrain Crate 3. And uh, they were part of the Kickstarter, uh, was it six months ago? Something like this, earlier in the year, I think. Really? And, okay, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, and so I bought, I think, two sets of the neoprene uh, shapes, and uh, they're great. I mean, as I said, I think they're a bit small for my taste, but then I realized you can combine them. uh, Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's a good idea, because that's actually quite important. Forests and, well, terrain needs to be a certain size, I think, to matter, so if... uh, official product makes them slightly too small that's actually a bit of a problem <laughs> yeah the <laughs> thing is the... yeah if you use only two of the template the forest templates on a six by four then it's definitely not enough okay but if you make two forests based on those shapes like yeah. so maybe you use three or even four or five then it can work but yeah, i definitely to... think mantic should just cut more of these and make a lot more shapes and, and so on Anyway. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. Well, it's cool that they have it. I mean, it's nice to 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 be able to lift stuff off. And uh, but I, I mean, I hope the game doesn't progress too far down the flat terrain slope, though. But yeah, I agree. I I absolutely do not want to see a completely flat table. I mean, not on a tournament or anything like that. But to have absolutely playable terrain is really a good thing. Like last Clash of King. Uh, they had amazing terrain, like it was specifically built to play Kings of War, and yeah. it just worked great on every single table, and that's, that's really that makes a big difference in your experience. Mark, mm, you want to say something? Oh yeah, I just wanted to jump in and you know mention you mentioned uh, going flat with the terrain. What I'm thinking more of is that you have something on top of it that you can lift off. Okay, and you mentioned the lack of hills. And um, that's one of the things I ran into at Clash uh, that we had some issues with was the hills. So, you know, things were balancing here and there. Now, Mike Carter's here, so I have to thank Mike for the uh, steps for balancing your units on top of the hills. And uh, I certainly used the heck out of those. And by the way, Mike, I gave a couple of those away while I was in the UK. So there you go. And... um, yeah, I mean, but if you could remove the hill and put the flat, you know, if the flats neoprene's right below it and you can just remove the hill to resolve any of those issues without all the balancing and bending and swooping, I think that, you know, uh, that would be something that would interest me. That's something I've been thinking more and more about. And, you know, I've been playing forever. So and it's just a recent thought of mine seeing all these neoprene mats. So. I think it's the best of all worlds, isn't it? To be honest, if you've got, you know, beautiful three, 3D trees, you know, beautifully painted, sitting on top of um, something that is entirely playable, I just feel like that's the best best case scenario. I have to laugh at uh, running tournaments 
that I, you know, working at getting trees, I've got a bunch of mantic trees I want to uh, paint up to replace mile railroad trees. Um, eventually, I'll get my terrain crate three. I kind of felt like when everybody says, oh, I got mine, I felt like uh, Charlie Brown. I got a rock. No, I got a shipping notice finally yesterday in the very last day of shipping. They finally decided to send out my Kickstarter. Um, so I haven't seen any of it yet. But one of the things I'm actually looking at doing is, um, well, you got your trees and you beautifully play the trees. And then I see players, before they even start rolling dice, move them off to the side of the board. And I've got trees sitting off to the side of every board there just using the mats. Um, but one thing I'm actually thinking about doing with it is actually making some pieces for obstacles. Because how many times you want to, you know, you see it there and then you have somebody on it and even steps don't help with trying to have the, the, you know, who's on the wall, who's not on the wall, who's in front of it. So thinking about having a thin piece of an obstacle in front of it, and then you can take it off uh, when you're moving, when the guys are actually on top of it. Uh, I don't like it actually for hills as such, because I actually played years ago in Dragonfall with it. And some of his hills were half an inch high. Um, they were tiny. And we had people in three of my games People were confused on what was a hill and what was difficult terrain just by looking at it because it was very easy to not be able to tell the difference. So I like having, um, you know, when I started 3D printing my hills, I made them all 35 millimeters high. Um, and then I made the steps to exactly match them um, and have those to give out just as swag for everything I run. Uh, and then they are steps you can use them with anybody's size hills, but you put them on their side and they exactly match the ones I designed as if I did that on purpose. I think there's Sounds actually like a, some, a Song of Ice and Fire um, little um, mats, as we were talking about, for all the different terrain types in that game. Um, and if you go on to Thingiverse or something like that, I forget now, you can actually 3D print perfectly fitting, you know, the fences and the walls or whatever to go on top of them, which is really cool. So it's exactly as you just descri described, Mark, um, Mike, rather, sorry, where um, you just, you, when you need to, you can just take the wall away but it's still completely clear where it was etc and it still looks nice i think mark has his hand up i do <laughs> I, I i will jump in and say obstacles are the thing i don't like the most as far as terrain goes in kings of war because you're always laying them down or doing something so that strip underneath works just the same like i said with hills and you guys just said it i mean it just makes it flat it just makes it a little more utility in the game and then when you're off of it put it back i mean the 3d terrain is what gives you the immersion into the game you know um i i like to leave the hills on the um you know mat until a unit goes in there and then i'll just push them around until it, it becomes totally unwieldy and the trees got to come off but i try to work around i like having the loose trees so you can push around like mike has and I know we'll talk more about Origins, Adepticon, and Gen Con in our interview with the Pathfinder. But, um, you know, I mean, very innovative as far as I'm concerned type stuff um, for that. But, yeah, obstacles. But I don't like obstacles in the game either. I, I, I have not mastered how to use them properly yet. So, but that's my don't, fault. Don't they say obstacles are a path to mastery or something like that? Did anyone on the on the call ever play War Machine? Because apparently that was a big thing with War Machine. Was the game was 
got so competitive. I never played it, but um, many did in Oslo, and we we usually we always talked about that when we shared when we shared tournament space. If you walked into the war machine room, it would just look so strange because all the tables were completely flat. And we were always talking about imagine being a new person or like a new if you're interested in war games you walk in there like oh is this something i want to do and you see their table or their tournament and it's all flat uh, tables and people staring down in, onto the tabletop intently and then you walk into the king's war room and it's like beautiful terrain hills forest buildings like what would you choose you would probably choose the cool terrain like wouldn't you <laughs> i certainly would mike do you want to jump in buddy yeah, so the flat, um, looking at that, years ago, uh, I remember that Wizards tried to put out a chainmail miniature game, and it came with, uh, it was nice, the box sets actually came with cardboard sheets that had the various terrain shapes on them. Um, and then I went to see it at, I think it was at Gen Con, and they had, you know, World Championship still using those cardboard sheets. And I just felt, you know, we're playing a 3D game here, um, having completely flat terrain would be just like of it rather than the 3d unit uh it just doesn't doesn't quite do it for me yeah so much of the game is aesthetic for me that yeah it would break my immersion mark yes chris you've got your hand up i do Clem. that wasn't intentional <laughs> you can edit this out if you edit chris i won't edit this out you know that. <laughs> I no, I just wanted to say, the, um, and now I forget because <laughs> you, you, it's too many interruptions. No, the, just, um, the, the flat. If I did the, edit this, imagine the stuff I take out. Honestly. Yeah, it <laughs> would be we're losing eighty percent of the value of this. No, the the flat terrain. I think it's um, it is very useful in terms of rules and for practicality of playing. So I would rather have flat terrain than terrain not designed to play Kings of War because then you just can't use the forest, for example. But in a way, then it's kind of like playing with unpainted miniatures or like uh, zero effort armies. It's like, why are you playing this game? Like, why don't you play a computer game if you don't like painting? Um and, and you, I mean, you don't even have to be good at it. Like, as, as Mark said, like, uh, the best color is finished. And that's 100% true, right? But it does look so much better when you have some 3D terrain uh, on the table and painted armies. Uh, it doesn't have to be like a crystal brush uh, uh, level. It already looks great. And, um, yeah, I think. But as we kind of touched on, if people aren't excited and care about that stuff, what the heck are they doing playing a playing a tabletop game? Yeah, as you say, play a computer game. Yeah. This is Ronnie Renton, and you are listening to the Mantic Universe podcast. Anyway, so Terrain Crate, that was we're still in Mantic news, right? We haven't moved on at all. No, no, no. Um, That's correct. We're we're on topic number one of the first thing. So yes, um, <laughs> first I thing Mantic did. We we missed also a bunch of other news, but what? Where are they? Uh, there's also a bunch of cool stuff in the vault. We didn't take any notes, dear listeners. So that's why we're kind of scrambling and even worse than usual. But uh, Chris, what have you read uh, in the emails from Mantic lately? Very little, if I'm completely honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, in terms of Mantic News, yeah, the terrain crate, we've discussed that. 
who wants to jump in and help me out? I'll jump in for a bit. So let's see. Since we last spoke, I believe the Worms Kickstarter um, finished. So we're all set with that. Everything, did any of us back it out of interest? I didn't. I it. did not. Nope. I did. And I never even played the Worms video game. So was it just out of loyalty to Mantic that got you? To, and just knowing that will probably be a great game. Well, loyalty, um, completeness, because it's, it's, I you know, have to do every one with it. Because uh, there's only been a couple I've ever not done and later ended up buying everything that they sold in it at a higher price. Uh, the only one I don't think that I've ever gotten anything intentionally for was um, Alicio's chess kind of game. And I think the... Loca. Loca. Yeah, I never did that one and don't regret it. But didn't do the original uh, Dreadball because I don't like sports games. And I've ended up buying everything that they had in there as well at some time. No, it looked good. It looked fun. Uh, the sculpts just looked hilarious. Um, so it's one I, you know, hopefully I'll get a chance to play it a bit with it. But who knows? Uh, but it looked good. Fantastic. Super. Okay, guys. As we're struggling so much with Mantic News, should we move on to the next <laughs> section? Well, I'll just toss in one other thing. October 18th, the Twilight Kin models will be released. And I believe the Clash of Kings book will be released on November 6th, even though we'll be discussing that later in the podcast. Now I turn it over to you, Chris. One other thing. Thanks. One other thing I want to mention, uh, people are paying attention. The Umbrella Academy is actually up for pre-order now from Mantic. So if you want to get in some of the more traditional and Worms is almost a more of a traditional board game as well. But their Umbrella Academy is scheduled to be shipping you before Christmas, as is the Barroom Brawl. Um, which is the uh, advent calendar, and that one I'm excited about. As is hopefully Dungeon Saga, Saga Origins as well, hopefully. Yeah, Kickstarter should ship, and uh, yeah, I got two copies of the Barroom Brawl. I'm excited about that. That's Again, amateur. I, I got five. Because they'll, <laughs> oh! they'll make great prizes for – we have a tournament in December that has a, a Kringle slash uh, Krampus special character you bring with it and that would be a great prize for one of those at least i think there was a hellboy krampus at one point as a special character cool that was a great model too yeah really cool. oh and so so was the hellboy christmas version in fact i'm staring at him on my desk right now one of the oh, few hellboys i've actually fully printed up it was hellboy the, the board game i really enjoyed that i've still got so much so much completely unopened of it but i really want to get around to uh, playing some more of that it was such a good game Okay, so that'll do it, dear listener, for Mantic News. So um, a section I'm not sure what we'll have to discuss, but you know, that's for us to find out. A Warpath firefight. So I've painted some sci-fi trees, so I've legitimately done some firefight stuff this month. For Antares, and, don't lie. <laughs> and also for Gates of Antares, dear listener. But um, I have read the new book which I'm very excited to talk about, obviously, at, an, at another time. It'll be on another episode, dear listener. Um, but other than that, I've got to be honest, I haven't done, um, I mean, um, yeah, I, I don't have a hobby space at the moment, so it is a bit tricky. I haven't played any firefight. Really looking forward to it, but I haven't managed any. Has anyone else done any firefight this month or, you know, re- in, the, in the recent uh, past? Well, the only thing I've done is read command protocols on the way back from the UK. I got through part of it, so but uh, I'm, I'm not ready to give a full review or anything like that. I think we'll be doing that um, a little bit later. Um, 
but it should be interesting. Mike, uh, did you get a copy of Command Protocols yet? Or Yes, I did. Uh, I want to say we just finished up a small um, escalation firefight league here in the Dayton area. Um, I took the best general for that, for uh, winning all my, game, all my league games. We then had a final um, playoff for the last day. Uh, it was supposed to be our tournament, but um, as unfortunately happens sometimes with these, it, um, people start dropping off with it. So there were just two of us playing for the final trophy, which actually ended up in a draw. And then um, Felix Castro actually beat me by about a, a killed about a hundred more points on uh, our thousand point games than I did. So he took down the trophy for that um, as well as the best painted army for him. Cause I never got all my stuff painted up, uh, but command protocols. Yes. I've looked at it. Uh, was checking out the Asterians um, with the fact that they've now changed it. So you can only do a faction order once per round. Um, that is a, uh, thank God. That's a stealth nerf to my Asterians because they live or die by their shields. And um, that's a great point, Mike. Plus, yeah. well, they live or die for their shields. Plus, they had the one, the second order that gave them the ability to get us uh, um, an extra shot for all their no rifles. And looking at everybody else on the same point cost, it seems uh, they'll get two shots. Uh, you look at enforcers, they're very close to the same profile, and they all have two shots, and I get one shot on ciphers. Uh, so it's hard to bring enough firepower, and it's hard to keep your shields up um, without those orders, and now only getting those once, um, that's going to hurt. Now, they'd finally get a heal order, which is nice that they didn't have before. Um, so that will help a little bit on it. But the fact they're fairly fragile once, well, they are fragile once the shields go down, um, that those are not going to be protecting you now. And I think that Asterians have been... Um, you guys did in a previous one that talked about in the UK where they did a, um, uh, a you know, look like that the uh, Asterians were the top army there. Well, it's all because of shields. And with those shields down, they're not going to be top anymore because they're going to be too easy to kill. Oh I, can I like that. Asterians. <laughs> I do. And Mike, can you, can you tell us a little bit more about the tournament? So Escalation League, what points did you start at? How many rounds did you play? Um, so, you know. Yeah, so we basically did 250 a month, so 250, 500, 750, and then um, we didn't actually have a full round of a thousand. That just ended up being the last day for it. Um, and again, unfortunately, we didn't end up having the tournament. Only had the two of us playing for it. Um, yeah, the lower point value, the Asterians, especially in the old old book, were just uh, first two games. The only thing I lost were my weapon drones, which don't have shields, of course. So everybody shot them off the table first thing. Um, Finally, my third game, I actually lost a few units. And then again, the fourth game uh, against Forge Fathers. That was very tough, technically a tie uh, on the last turn. But he did kill a few more points than I did uh, to declare a winner on it. So how many players did you start with? And did you did you have a little narrative for it? Or, you know, was there a little story to go with it? Or There was no story. I think we started out with seven players. And one of them, I know, moved away. Unfortunately, um, the others just kind of gradually dropped off, couldn't make it, et cetera, with it. So something always seems to come up. I found that these things tend to, um, as soon as you get past three months, especially on any type of these, it's really hard to keep people going on it. Um, I've had that before in, in fantasy, uh, the same type of uh, escalation type things with it, that they all start off with the low points, lots of people, and then just 
losing people as they go. Um, Do you think you still have these kind of five or six people going forward? You know, maybe they haven't painted as much as they meant to, but do you think they're still interested in Firefight locally? Um, There's a few of them are. A lot of them are the same people that play Kings of War. So it seems to mainly be the same group. We do have the person uh, running this is another local guy um, who I actually don't think he's a Pathfinder, uh, but he likes pushing um, the sci-fi games with it and stuff. So he wants to do this again, but do it in a much shorter time span, more of a um, um, you know a one-day escalation type thing with it, uh, games day event on it, and try to get things going. Uh, so it's... But it's harder to get that community going with us right now. You know, it's it's how many miniature games can you keep keep up with and keep playing and keep getting models for? It's a big question. Yeah, good point. Clem? Yeah, I have a theory about uh, slow grows. I think they usually just don't work as expected because they don't solve uh, the main issues that you have when you're trying to paint a full army. And um, I've realized I prefer a diff- slightly different version of it where instead of saying you do 250 points a month or something like this, uh, you um, cut the, your, the whole project in phases. And instead, the first phase is everyone chooses the army, builds a list, um, comes up with test models uh, like, um, like a color scheme or decide how they will do the army. I know you don't believe in, in uh, test models, Chris, but... Um, uh, Test models are for cowards. I'm dumping Yeah, down. yeah, exactly. But anyway, so the first phase is just the planning phase. And then a second phase where everyone just buys everything. And especially for Firefight or Kings of War, it's not that expensive. Like you don't have to drop a massive amount of money on an army. And so you can actually get everything all at once. And you build as much as you can. And you get to a playable full state army as soon as possible. And then you keep inter- people interested by having games, and uh, and then uh, you can paint uh, and, and get stuff finished later on. But to keep it active, you you just uh, start playing as soon as you can. I think that's uh, that's a good angle. That's what we've done for Kings of War 10 millimeters. I I know you love this, Chris. I have to mention it in every pod, otherwise your life is too easy. And uh, it worked great. And then uh, you just actually get a lot of people with an actual army in the end who who can uh, play the game. And uh, I think that's the ultimate goal, right? Like uh, have a bigger community and more people playing the game you love. Yeah, I'm actually super looking forward to Firefight. I was thinking about this earlier, actually. Is to be honest, I think I'm looking forward to playing some Firefight soon more than anything else. You know, more than Kings of War, more than Dead Zone. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to playing some uh, Firefight. I think it's a fantastic game. Yeah, I've played only a total of two Firefight games ever, but uh, I have found it very enjoyable. My um my uh, problem is that there's not a lot of uh, players playing it it's only basically me and one other guy called Mauritz um, so I've been painting up slowly uh, Marauders uh, force I do like my space orcs um, uh, yeah and usually uh, I've, I've gone for a very melee focused like the brawlers with the claws for hands or uh, not claws for hands but claws on their hands I suppose <laughs> and just uh, yeah really like close combat list which is fun and um i suppose we're not going to 
talk about the new updates for Firefight because we haven't really, at least I haven't seen those. But um, uh, I, I've heard that there, there are some changes uh, that might be a stealth nerf in the same way that uh, Mike Carter spoke about. And that's that um, there is, because uh, you, before you could actually just walk into combat, couldn't you? Um, and not really suffer any minuses, but I think you get a minus one to hit now if you if you don't see your target before you walk or charge in, you get a minus one to hit. Um, and that was always good with my uh, close combat marauders that they could just run around the building and still be v- surprisingly uh, effective. Um, but with the minus one to hit, which is perfectly logical, uh, it, I guess supposed to will be slightly slightly. Um, worse than before, but still probably good. They're still going to be terrifying, to be honest. Those boards are so good, and I love <laughs> the models as well. I, I, they, I just think those guys look scary. You know, they look like bad news. You know, they're really yeah, cool. they do. And they, when I saw those, I mean, uh, I um, I mean, I am generally quite loyal to to Mantic. I do like to support the company, uh, but I I. I, I pick my models i mean i don't buy everything but those guys when they released the new uh, orcs for firefight i just purchased a bunch of those because I, I thought they were so cool uh, really nice and they look really like they <laughs> like they're up for a fight the old the old marauders for dead zone they looked a bit like um i don't know like uh wild hogs on two feet with large rifles they didn't look like proper fighters i think but these new ones they're really scrappy looking i love them and fred you mentioned there's just you and your friend playing which is you know a, tr- a tricky one with firefighter in any kind of new game is whereabouts are you guys playing are you playing at your house or are you getting out into a gaming store or a club uh we we get it get out to uh, either the club uh, in uh well, my gaming club, then I will have to bring him on as a guest player. Or there's also one other gaming club that we can go to, uh, which is more open and not just members only. Um, so th- we have the space and the terrain required. It's I think it's just the interest. Um, it's hard enough to keep uh, niche games uh, going. I mean, there's um, there is, of course, an abundance of people playing 40k. And... Um, you know, you get people saying like, "Oh, that looks that looks fun and uh, interesting," but still, they might not take the leap to actually start playing Firefight instead of 40k. You know, <laughs> even though we we would say like, you can use your own models. I mean, use your Space Marines or your Space Orcs or whatever they're called now. Um, you know, try this other rule set. But in in the end, uh, at least I don't have really the energy to be. Um, like the prime engine of another yet another game uh i think i use a lot of my energy keeping kings of war active and for fire well dead zone at least and also a little bit of firefight i just want to play and enjoy it you know i can't be the 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 guy with the banner you know waving the banner for every game so i, I can't I completely I understand yeah. you there because i'm i'm in the same situation where i'm it's always me having to push things locally and yeah. I always have to be the main cheerleader. And it is exhausting. And as you say, sometimes you just, honestly, you just want to roll some dice and have fun. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and um, I, I'm perfectly happy doing that for King's War, uh, but for for instance, for Dead Zone, uh, I hadn't. That's such a great game that I love to play on the side, uh, just because it's so different and so casual. It's so many fun things happen that I always use that game to. Uh, I didn't even care if there were just two or three people playing Dead Zone because that's enough for me to give me a game now and then. It's like I don't, I don't, I don't need to run a tournament circuit on, you know, in Dead Zone to be happy. I just need a game every now and then. So yeah, um, need to choose choose my battles slightly and, uh, you know, although every person that I have. Uh, played Dead Zone with, I didn't want to say demoed, because it's not like I've made a conscious effort to get them playing, but I had friends who don't even play war games to, and I've had the game of Dead Zone here in my house, and they really loved it. So it's a game that really is easy to just enjoy and have fun with with people, even though you don't expect them to to become a full-fledged war gamer. It's uh, they will get they will like absolutely have a good time with it, regardless, because the rules are relatively simple. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, yeah, I love Dead Zone uh, and Firefight. I only had only only had two games, so I have a limited uh, you know supply to to speak from. But uh, Dead Zone is is is, is the bomb. It's also a pretty good game. I haven't played yet with the updated rules, but even the V1, if we can call it like this, like the the one that released a year ago, year and a half ago now, is already a ton of potential. We had a ton of fun with it. There were a few quirks here and there, and uh, from what I've seen, they fixed it with the the latest book. So yeah, it's in a really good, uh, really good place. Yes, you 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 said you've played Firefight V1, or did you mean Dead Zone V1? No, no, I meant the firefight. The um, so V1, as in the still the yeah. recent one, right? Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it, they changed quite a lot between this one and the one that was before, like a few years ago. So mm-hmm. it's almost like a completely new game. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, you mean the old one? Yeah. Um, but to be fair, I mean the new. It seems like the new update also is almost like a new edition change. Uh, or, or am I being too dramatic? It seems like the... I think it's not that much. No, they no. they were a bunch of changes here and there, um, but it's more for me and from what I could read. And it's it's always a bit weird when you j- just read the book and uh, don't really play more yeah. to experience it. But from reading it. Uh, yeah, they fixed a, a bunch of the the small details um, that needed fixing, and so mm-hmm. I think the, the rule committee did a lot of work uh, to just uh, gather all the feedback and just go through all of these points and mm, yeah. uh, just uh, the, the small details. So I I wouldn't call it a, a new edition, um, as you mentioned. The, so the or as um, Mike mentioned. Um, uh, the ability to only do the, the faction orders once per round. I always get turns and rounds confused, but you know mm, what yeah. I mean. It does make a big difference in how you play it, but for the better. And it's it's not like a fundamental edition uh, change type of change. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think they, they did a great job, and I, I'm eager to uh, to play more with it. Yeah. I feel like if you only can use each um, faction order once, it almost feels like I would end up with 
points to spare at the end of the round. Like in when I played, it's never been a let's say it's never been a problem to use the points. Like I want to use the orders every time I can, but if it's only one per turn for a good order, then it's like, well, what am I going to use my the rest of my command points for? Well, for the faction orders, yes, but then each commander uh, can have uh, special abilities as well that you can also use, um, and then you can also. I think uh, they also changed the going down uh, thingy that gives uh, like a, a cover. And uh, you probably, I think you can use the uh, points as well to change this in the end round, right? Or yeah, the un, yeah, pinning, unpinning units, yeah. Right. That's right. Anyway, I'm, 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 I'm getting confused now because <laughs> it's been too long since I played it. But yeah, I, I think I, I want to play a few games with updated rules before I I, uh, I give too much of an opinion about it, but everything that I've seen is uh, was interesting so far. I think Clem's totally right. We need to actually play some games before we make pass any judgments. Um, it does on the face of it, I would say, um, Mike, it does sound rough with the Asterians with their shields because they so rely on their shields, right? So I was wondering actually maybe if there there would be other ways that they could bump up their shields um maybe you know it, it, there'd be cool interesting ways that they could do it not just using that one command ability um so but yeah it'd at be the same time Chris, everyone else has are. the same limitation right so there actually are some uh one everybody's shield value got bumped up i know so most units have started with shield four now um so that's at least one more hit they can take from it um the other one is one of the command abilities. I think it's from the Narsa uh, allows everybody's shield generator to go off, uh, which is normally at the end of the at the end of a round you roll to try to auto regenerate shields on every unit uh, that has one uh, for five points, and um, you trigger this and you roll it during the middle of the game or the middle of the round with it when it is that command option for oh it's a large range on it for an instant. That's so awesome. those are a couple of things that help. And then <clears throat> the other thing I was thinking was, obviously, with the big change of you can only use command ability once per round or per turn or whatever it is. Um, well, that might encourage people to bring more leaders and more diverse leaders. So, you know, I'd be really interested to see what these changes mean, because obviously you don't want loads of command points left over at the end of a round. You want to spend them. Fred. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, or or also just more diverse armies because the faction orders. You mean, let's say if you have an all shooty army and you can only use your if you have a, a faction order that boosts your shooting, then you can obviously only use it once. Then that makes it a bit bad for the rest of your army. Great it's all point, shooting. Buddy. So if you do a all more all round army, you might have a me- uh, like a melee order you want to use or bring some Kalishi. speed, yeah, mm. like extra speed for someone or just yeah, I guess uh, it encourages more rounded armies I think than just having a shooting gallery for for instance. That sounds I really. I think cool. it's completely true, and um, I mean in when I played against enforcers, and I, you guys know I have something against enforcers. I mean they just spam their one good order. Uh, the one amazing order and uh it's kind of like okay great i'm happy you can do that but actually i'm happy that uh, you can't do that anymore and uh now you have to use the other very good orders uh, that are also available but yeah. i mean it also impacts all the armies like same for my gcps like uh, no more uh, recruits uh, blazing away on six plus every time they shoot basically 
right? Because that's, uh, I think they also changed the order to begin with. But I was also a culprit of this order is so good. Of course, I want to use it anytime that I can. It's difficult and I use it not to, though, isn't it? When you yeah, know it's so course. good. And it was the same for me and my armies. Is there just some things that are just so good? So, for example, with the um, with the Forge Fathers, if you, if I've got a, a unit of ten guys with the rifles, if I could double my attacks, amazing, right? So, it, this does sound really interesting. I, I, obviously, I want all the factions to be playable. So I'm a little bit concerned about the Styrians, but we haven't tested it yet. So it'd be interesting to see what the changes mean for the shields actually when you know the rubber meets the road and we play the game. Awesome. But the more I th- more I think about it, the more I really want to play Firefight. Really need to get some games in. Um and the one of the other things, and we will talk about it in the next episode, dear listener, but one of the the big changes they've made, and Ronnie's talked about it a lot, is make a um a new mode of the game which is more you know big battles with more vehicles so you can have a command tank and things like that and i think dreadpath zone very recently put a video up on youtube which is um one of the battles and it just looked like absolute chaos i mean everything was blowing up everywhere and they had a really cool looking table looked really really good um i'm probably less enthusiastic than most people seem to be about this idea of getting loads and loads of vehicles on the board because i really enjoy firefight at kind of 750 points i i think it's a great game at that level um but you know of course i'm a maniac and i've got loads of different vehicles for the game and i'd be very interested to to try it but um i love firefight at small points levels so you, and at I'm least sure actually, Mark will be with me so you actually have the vehicles then you just uh, prefer it's like infantry only yeah i mean i kind of like to be honest i very much enjoy a vehicle maybe a strider a couple of different units a um, couple of different leaders. Um, but having said that, I'd be interested to try it. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I normally like a couple of vehicles per side and, um, you know, some diverse units, basically, I'd say. So maybe one tank per side. But um, yeah, uh, I've got, I've stocked up on uh, on vehicles. Clem? Yeah, just, I think I agree with you here. I think it'll be fun, uh, like for some gaming weekend to put tons of vehicles on the table and just go crazy and play almost like you play a siege game in kings of war but otherwise in general i'm not very optimistic with uh, 28 millimeters tanks uh on a six by four very quickly it just becomes too crowded and it's just a shooting gallery and uh so it's cool because you get to put all of your toys on the table and uh, it's a change from the normal game but ultimately, I think in 28 mil and on a 6x4, what you want is the squad level. So some infantry, maybe one or two vehicles, or like one vehicle in a strider, uh, or maybe one flyer instead, and uh, more, and it becomes too much, I think. But let's see. Let's give it a try next time we're playing. Yeah, I mean, I, I really want us to do, buddy, to be honest, a semantic sci-fi weekend pretty soon. So I'd be really interested to to try but i really i just think firefight's a great game at low points levels to be honest and i'm sure mark will agree with me right mark absolutely i like them at 500 but i'm gonna try 750 people say that's a sweet spot so um you know with the new command protocols here definitely got to give that a whirl yeah i think it works really well with some of the objectives so 
<clears throat> I mean, I like playing 500 points too, actually. But I mean, some of the obje- some of the most fun objectives, and of course, I can't remember for the life of me what the scenarios are called. But there's the, for example, there's the the capital H shaped one with the objectives laid out. Um, I think at 500 points, you don't quite have enough units to hold your backline and challenge your opponents. So I think it's just 750 points, just having those few extra points just makes the game a lot more interesting on, on that scenario specifically. I agree. I think also on a 6x4, 500 points is uh, not enough. But with yeah. 500 points, you can already have an interesting game on a 4x4 and get started with the system. And uh, yeah, I think 750 is a, is a good, um, is a decent size. And I like also slightly bigger. I haven't had many occasions to play at like 1500 points. But it's also fun because then you can uh, bring more toys and uh, really show off uh, more of your army, more of your models at that size. Um, but yeah, I just need to play uh, more larger games like this. Um, I would like to. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to playing it, to be honest. Hey there, I'm Brian. <laughs> and I'm Rick. From Dead Zone, the podcast. And you're listening to Mantic Universe Podcast. For everything Mantic under the sun. Uh, off we go to Dead Zone. Yay! Clem, by the way, how is your sci-fi terrain looking? Are you still procrastinating? Um, so, no. Now it's uh, it's looking different uh, because you can't see it because it's in cardboard boxes because I've been moving house a month ago. Well, three weeks ago. So you've been painting your real house, not your imaginary sci-fi house. <laughs> not even that. I should have been, but uh, no, I've done some of it, but there's still more work on the house. Uh, we're not exactly camping, but a little bit. Uh, we received a fridge last week, so just to tell you how things are. It's a good um, start. It's yeah, a good Clem's, start. Yeah. Dear listener, Clem's moved to the suburbs. So uh, I did. He's I gone did. from a small flat in in right in the centre of the city to now having to, you know have enough furniture for a house which is right. you know, interesting it's a good problem to have i'm absolutely not complaining but uh yes no it's, it's been a lot of a uh, lot of things to uh to to do and uh so miniatures have been uh, a bit on the on the second uh second side of things so yeah so no my dead zone terrain hasn't been painted and the fun thing as well is i did miss uh, a dead zone gaming day in berlin so <laughs> that's pretty bad but uh but it's yeah, great we can... one happened and you didn't organize it so that is just yep. a, in itself a really good thing right how cool is that yes absolutely i'm sad that i couldn't make it but uh, i'm also very happy that uh, the guys uh, organized it and uh, yeah they've been playing a bunch of dead zone like i see pictures on the discord um so that's uh, that's really cool there's also a dead zone tournament coming up in November in Regensburg, I think on the 18th, Chris, is that right? On the 18th, that's correct, yes. So our friends are organizing that, and I hope we can make it, Clem. How are you I hope to, I hope to. I haven't I haven't booked anything yet, uh, but I, I hope I'll manage to uh, open the right box uh, with the Dead Zone stuff in it, uh, build a quick list and go get crushed by uh, players who actually know how to play the game uh, <laughs> at a tournament, but also have an amazing time uh, with friends over the weekend. So, yeah, 18th of November, I think it is. 
Last time I did the crushing, though, so I've got a difficult decision to make. Do I do I bring I the same to. thing again? The OP. But Chris, you, you did the crushing because you said, hey, it's a narrative thing. Please bring nice lists and blah, blah, blah. And then I wrote scenarios especially for you. Did and I not say, could... though, this one this one coming up, it's just a narrative. Come on, everybody. It's, uh, <laughs> it's just a friendly well, narrative. Oh, I think they are actually good players and uh, and they, they are doing an actual oh, tournament. Oh, no, no, no. Lightning won't strike twice. As you said, Clem, I had to, I had to, uh, I had to rig the... Uh, the di- you know load the dice before we started fred yeah i was intrigued about um you spoke about a tournament or like a game day of dead zone um and i w- always thought that dead zone is a quite terrain terrain heavy game uh, if you know what i mean like you very much so yeah, yeah. and how how do you organize a game day or a tournament in that how much uh, terrain do you need and do you need do you feel like you need to spread the, the terrain a little bit thin to populate several tables or are you ah, still great happy question with fred so so i we brought what i thought was enough so we had 10 players so we had five tables um <clears throat> i th- honestly thought i had enough terrain by myself um ready you know painted and ready um but kind of when we got set up i was really really glad that we'd asked a few extra people to bring stuff um because yeah so the way clem and i play is we kind of play with a similar amount of terrain to the the mantic book you know like if you look at the photos in in the rule book that's kind of the amount of terrain we play with and then the guys who came from uh from bavaria who are running this uh this event next month um they i asked them to bring some stuff and they brought these incredible bespoke tables um which were you know crazy high just really wacky and wild tons (laughs) of terrain so they i I'm making this up now, Clem, but I think they probably had, let's say, three or four times more terrain than ours had. Um, So, it made made for wild diversity. So, it was fantastic. But I think I I completely get what you're saying, Fred. And there's a there is a temptation to kind of eke out the terrain. But if you can avoid that, I think Dead Zone is is a game that really requires it rules wise, but also there's the spectacle so if people come and see this incredible terrain that these guys brought look at wow what the heck are you guys playing it just looks amazing yeah, right yeah, so there's absolutely. kind of and it's important for the rules as well so yeah you if possible and, and it's only a two by two if possible if you can um really stock up on terrain it does make a huge difference yeah it does and that's that's kind of um, why I was asking because uh, I, the best games I also find it has a lot of terrain and and also preferably not just uh, not just a second story but maybe even a third story on the on the buildings so you can get or fifth, to you know <laughs> yeah I mean or, I have or sixth a, or seventh like these guys were yeah I have a, a table here in my home that is. Um, I think it's actually as high as you can go. I, I built this sort of bridge, and then on top of the bridge there is a tower. And if you stand on top of that tower, you can't even drop a grenade down because it's it's too far. It it you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it it explodes mid air or something. <laughs> um, that might be pushing it though a bit. But uh, I do love it when it's a bit higher than just. Um, you know, if, if you have like, let's say, if I have like a container that's like a second story, I've I've played against players who then run up on the container, shoot, and then use uh, dice to move off again, so they can actually move 
in, they can expose themselves, do their shooting, and then uh, do the extra movement dice to actually hide again. And I find that quite boring. And so if you if you have two story height, like third third floor height, then you can't do that. You can't do that trick. And that's uh, so I have this pet peeve that I think terrain should be at least to the third story. <laughs> I think it's a yeah. good point, and uh, just the way we've done it is. Uh, we just buy more of the, um, not the terrain crates, but like the dead zone uh, terrain box over mm -hmm. time. Like I've used my Pathfinder credits uh, to buy more and just uh, throw it uh, into the terrain pile of the club. Some other members have done the same. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're just building more terrain over time. And uh, we started with only having two tables. Now we have, I think, four sort of that we can equip. And uh, also now yeah. a, lo a lot more new players have joined. And, uh, you know, uh, these people will buy a, a starter set or two starter sets and then also have some terrain of their own that they can bring. Yeah, it's really, in, uh, it's, yeah. It's really quality. I, I mean, I really like that Dead Zone terrain from Mantic. It's, uh, it really works well to put together. And, and you, could, you can usually... Um, in, you can you can actually make it last quite long if you don't if you don't use all the walls for one piece you can just use maybe a, a half wall on the one side and then you can you know how how high can I go with using minimal walls for each level and it's still definitely not, not tricks. Also, the game's way more deadly like that it's really interesting because it's um, you know <laughs> suddenly there's uh oh I'm really exposed yeah that's true yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I mean, I've always been intrigued with the thought of of running Dead Zone game days and having more people, but I feel like I, then I need to up my terrain level. I need to make more. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, yeah. Ultimately, yes, but um, I think the local community uh, that we have here is not very competitive in general, um, and so. Yeah, it's kind of like step by step, and I think people just enjoy because most of the players uh, come from uh, Kings of War, and so they, they enjoy. Oh, that's also a different system. It's really nice, and uh, so it's kind of a change. Yeah. And um, I haven't seen yet, at least in the local group, people trying to exploit. Hey, there's not enough terrain on those tables. Great, mm -hmm. it means I can uh, uh, do nasty tricks. Uh, maybe I'll come later, but uh, for now, yes, it's. Uh, uh, very friendly games, uh, I would say. So yeah, I have a I have a, a hot tip for terrain though, because um, you know as you as you know the the rules for Dead Zone uh, is kind of written that every unit should be in cover. That's kind of how they their baseline is that everything is probably in cover, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And it's unusual a, something isn't in cover actually. Yeah. yeah. So a, a clear shot should be something unusual. So to to accomplish that, I have made. Um, I'm not sure what the actual na actual name for it is, but if you've seen, for instance, in the Saving Private Ryan, you know the scene where they land on the beach, and um, the the they open up the hatches and, and the soldiers and run the machine onto the gun beach. has yeah. a clear shot straight yeah. down. And, yeah, and along the beach there are these sort of metal uh, bars welded together, so like anti-tank, uh, you know, so tanks can't drive there. Uh, you know what I mean? Like um, metal shapes. Um, and anyone uh, getting this this reference? Yeah, I see what you're getting. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah there. I, 
I can't pronounce it, but yeah, they're they're there for um, disemboweling uh, landing ships and things like that. So. Yeah, so I made a lot of those just using spruce, like you know, glue spruce together, paint the metal, and spread on my dead zone map. I, I put one of those in almost every corner. Well, every corner that is uh, that doesn't have a, a building on it, I put either one of those, which is just then a little. St- star shape of metal bars right um and or i make t- tiny barrels which i make of cutting this electrician tubing uh, which is ridged so if you cut it and paint it metal it looks like a barrel and i i, I make sure either one of these is on every single uh, core like uh, intersection of of cubes so that makes it much more probable that there is some slight cover to be gained in, on every single cube on the map um, just to make that uh, you know so it's hard to um, to get a clear shot uh, yeah anywhere. that sounds really cool hey fred if, if you've got photos would you mind just sharing them on the mantic universe uh, facebook group just so we can see what you're looking at because that's always super super helpful and yeah, sure, um, sure. thanks buddy and mike have you uh, run any dead zone events or what's your what's your relationship with dead zone to be honest, I have not. Um, I, Dead Zone is one of those things that has just slipped under the radar for me. Uh, played a bit in first edition. Uh, I remember playing a tiny bit in second. I haven't played any in third. Um, and in fact, that's one of the things I needed to get more space with and finally gave up the fact that, no, I'm not going to be building um demo armies for any of the sci-fi games i'm just going to play them a little bit so some of the bins i had set up for uh, dead zone demos etc have kind of um, gone away with it so yeah that's not one i'm in you know in fact my dead zone book um i basically use it because of the great pictures of weapon references so you can identify what weapons on what guy with it because they had a great you know oh here's the here's what this rifle looks like here's what such and such looks like i'm like need that but Nope, not been playing it. Sorry. Yeah, and it's, I mean, Fred touched on it earlier when, when we were talking about Firefight. He's like, oh, come on, I'm, I'm already the main community driver for one game. You know, it's, it, there is a point at which it's just too much, right? Because you've got to keep on top of all this. So it's, um, yeah, just having another game, although Dead Zone is an amazing one. But um, yeah, we already have so much going on. And then, you know, we've, real life as as well etc so uh yeah very understandable super so do we have anything any sort of final thoughts for for dead zone um and fred feel free to come down to germany and play dead zone with us because it's fantastic <laughs> on the 18th yeah. of november i think it's a good time to do it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. come and join us I'll, I'll i'll keep an eye out for uh, you know I'll, I'll put it in my calendar and then the, it's check my budget <laughs> super also, also i think those um those things i made with the spruce is called panzersperre or something like that yeah tank traps yeah 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 <laughs> no no fred I, I we we all completely understood what you were talking about yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it sounded very cool super okay mark anything to to jump in on oh <clears throat> for dead zone my experience is the same as mike's I got first edition, so we got in, played a little second, got everything. I haven't gotten third yet. 
I do have the book and I've read it and stuff like that, but I'm thinking about picking up a starter set. And so I just heard the dead zone, the podcast guys talking about the uh, Sterian versus plague. And, um, you know, those are two armies. I don't have a lot of, uh, models for, so that's pretty cool. So I think I'm going to, um, take a look at, uh, picking up that starter set. So the best thing in that box, Mark, is the plague general model is so cool. And it's the, um, Rob Berman did a, a short story. I think we talked about it on the pod, but he did a two part short story. That's exactly based on that. Um, is that, and it's is really that the guy cool. in the, is that the guy in the top hat and, uh, and, um, yeah, I wouldn't call it a top hat, but it's quite a Almost. tall kind of generals. Yeah, it's sort of like a U.S. generals kind of cap. Yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> super cool, super super cool. And um, a, f- a friend of the pod asked for. Um, he bought that set and asked for some lists, and I basically just came up with the, the with the uh, Asterians from Rob Berman's story, and he immediately noticed and went, "Hang on a second. But um, it's such a cool story. It's really, really fantastic. Mm. There's oh, yeah, a, it's a good story, <clears throat> definitely. There's a, a guy who is um, – oh, no, no, no. No spoilers. It's on the Mantic website, dear, dear listener. It's um, fantastic. Super. Okay. So I think we should move on then to our Panathor Kings of War stuff. Guys, we've been talking – actually, we've been talking a lot – and this is um, going down a bit of a rabbit hole. My apologies um, – We've been talking quite a lot about Vanguard recently, um, and Mike and and Fred, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, thoughts on what? Sorry, on Kings of War Vanguard. I'm just opening oh, yeah. up a, a, a can of worms and sitting back. <laughs> Vanguard. I have played Vanguard. Uh, I would say five or six games, maybe. Um, and um, you know, it's it's it, it's always been fun. It's been alright, but uh, it's um, we found we found the rules a bit crunchy and um, a lot uh, to- token heavy, as we call it. Like it requires a lot of um, housekeeping, putting tokens down, and, uh, and and there is a clue in that one of the tokens is split three ways, and it's actually a triple token, um, which means that someone in Mantic said that the probability of a unit needing three tokens at any given time is so high that we'll we'll actually make a triple token for it. That that tells you something, I think. Um, also, we were a bit uh, disappointed uh, locally that we thought it would be like an entry game to King's War, uh, which, you know, in, in theory and in lore, sure, I mean, it, it could be, but physically, like model-wise, it's, it's just not because King's War uses units and this uses single models, so it's, it doesn't really give, it doesn't give a bridge to, to King's War, in my opinion. Um, so a bit clunky, you know, fair fun enough uh, i like the feeling of it when you put two uh warbands uh against each other um you know you're trying to be sneaky and running around and i had i played a scenario which was to steal the rescue the princess or something and uh, it was quite clear that i was going to lose the game because my opponent had the princess tied up uh, to a stake or something and he just had a lot of crossbowmen and I had to run in there and somehow defeat all of his guys and rescue the princess and then get out again. And it was clearly impossible, at least very stacked against, uh, you know, in his favor. So I think the scenarios are unbalanced. 
Uh, also, I played uh, some, some, someone called Steal the Steal the Dragon Eggs, and I had scouts, and he did not. So my guy scouted up, stole the dragon egg, ran back, and I won the game, and that was that. Was that. So, yeah. And Clem, <laughs> you're doing a brilliant job, buddy, of staying in mute. Mike? So... Um, I jumped on this, uh, as I mentioned, not playing in Dead Zone. Uh, I have a friend that we both uh, uh, run events at Origins, and pretty much we've divided things up. He does a sci-fi, I do fantasy. So I jumped on Vanguard when it came out. I only have 14 more bands that I've used to uh, run Learn to Play events with it. But I think this last year um, has been the last year I'm going to run that until they come out with a new edition. Um, and basically, Frederick had exactly a lot of things I want to say. Crunchy is a great word to describe it. Uh, it just, it's not, it fails to me as a lead-in for Kings of War because it doesn't feel anything like Kings of War. It is a completely separate game with it. One of the frustrations I've had is that uh, good models in Vanguard aren't necessarily good models in Kings of War and uh, vice versa with it. They don't translate as well. Um yeah, the whole thing about you can use the same models and build them up into units. Uh, I had to do all new models for this because, of course, I multi-base everything for Kings of War. So, except for a few characters, nothing is single-based uh, on it. had to make new models, so that doesn't translate well. The one thing that I do love about it is at the end of every scenario for Vanguard, which there is no kill scenario in it. Everything is flat-out objective-based. Um, but they have a tie-in to a later Kings of War game. And I'm almost wanted to see what could you do about um, tying multiple game systems together in some kind of event where, uh, let's say you had a Armada battle, then a van, you know, then they get on shore, then you have a Vanguard skirmish with them that leads into a full-size Kings of War battle with it. Completely um, with you. That would be a good thing. I'm not sure how to organize that because I don't know anybody that plays all of those and would have everything available to play it. Um, but, Mike, you don't need everyone to play everything. So you could have a gaming weekend or a gaming day. If there's if you've got a couple of, um, you know, Armada players that, where they could play the Armada game, which could impact, you know, the Kings of War Ambush game or the Vanguard game or the Big Battle or the Siege um, so maybe you could have different players playing different bits, which are lightly linked. You know, I l always always love that idea. If we had uh, a big enough community to get that, yeah, that would work. We don't. Um, right. <laughs> you know, we 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 struggled even um, since the COVID and the dark times that we have struggled getting back even as many players as we had before here locally just on our weekly game nights on it um you know yeah once in a while we get people from out of town coming in and yeah one night we had 10 people for a regular game night but often we have two so trying to get something to do multiple game systems right that's um, bad. certainly not, not going to happen you're running between it's, the tables oh we, yeah. it's a turn on armada okay now it's a turn on vanguard yeah, or just doing one at a time with it you know um and nobody here plays vanguard uh, in fact, I don't get the models out except when I take them to Origins and Gen Con. So I did have a better turnout at Gen Con than I expected for them. But it's just, no, I'm going to stick with Kings and Armada, I think, uh, until they finally decide that we want to come back to this and do a fantasy version of Dead Zone for Vanguard. And, and that's, I think that's that what they need. 
I don't think sorry, that's what's needed. Hang on, Clem. Hang on. We'll come back to this point. And Mike, sorry, buddy. Just and whereabouts are you playing in a, a gaming club or a store or whereabouts? We have a are you game. Playing? We have a store. We meet a store. We meet at on Friday nights. Fantastic. Uh, called Epic Loot down in Centerville here. Um, it's a really nice store. They've been real good to us for many years. We've uh, uh, we're holding. We hold two one day tournaments there now. Uh, one of them coming up in December. In fact, uh, as I mentioned, it has a a Christmas theme to it. Uh, and that one has actually been sold out for a couple of years now with it because uh, they did remodel the store a little bit. And unfortunately, when they did, they dropped some of their gaming tables because as much as we try, um, you know, we don't have nearly as many um, players as they do for Magic on Friday nights. So they have a huge section for Magic. Makes sense. I'd, so they I'd only just... have eight tables. This is Rob Fanoff from the Countercharge Podcast, and you're listening to the Mantic Universe Podcast, the only podcast that has the balls to cover all their games. Clem, I'm just going to make one point and then hand over to you, buddy. Thank you for being so uh, so patient. Um, so the only thing I would say about Vanguard, so I'm someone that's bought the rules and never actually played a game. I, I completely agree. It seems weird. It's more crunchy than Kings of War. Um now Kings of War has Ambush. I feel like it doesn't have to try and pretend to be the gateway game to Kings of War because we have Kings of War Ambush, which is, you know. Um, so maybe that kind of takes the pressure off Vanguard in one respect because a lot of us, and I, I maybe Clem will disagree, but a lot of us are confused. It's more complicated than the mass fantasy game. Oh, this game takes as long to play as, the, as Kings of War. So... Now that ambush is a thing, I feel like maybe that takes some of the pressure off Vanguard that it can kind of be its own thing. And sorry, Clem, I'll go on mute now, buddy. You go for it. No, no, I think you're, you're absolutely right. So just as a disclaimer, um, I started playing Vanguard before I played Kings of War. And I thought more about it. I think that probably makes a big difference because I I came across Kings of War during the second edition but I didn't have any players nearby. And so I tried, I played a couple of games with my wife in cardboard tokens to try it out and thought it's awesome, but didn't find anyone who wanted to play. And I moved to Germany and um, then the Vanguard Kickstarter happened. And I don't remember how I got onto that one, but I, I went full in. And um, then I started playing this one locally because there were other people in Berlin who also pledged and bought some Vanguard. And uh, that's how then I joined the already existing Kings of War gaming group locally and then transformed my Vanguard, Force of the Abyss Warband into a full army because I liked the models and I was happy with my color scheme. And so I think I have a, a different experience with Vanguard and Kings of War than most everyone else, uh, especially in this call. And uh, in general, Mike, do you want to say something? Yeah, one of the things that I want to do that Vanguard did right are the new sculpts that they came up with them. Those have been fantastic. Most of those where they can have been rolled into uh, regular Kings of War. Um, some of them now are kind of hard to get with it because of uh, just the way they release the. The one thing that they didn't do right, unfortunately, with it, and this was especially true on the Kickstarter. Um, they went and they sent them to be manufactured, and they, they basically said, uh, 
at least the way I see this happening, I wasn't there. I didn't participate in it. The way I see it happening, he says, okay, we need to make sure each of these factions has to be built separately and let them go. They didn't tell them that each model needs to be built separately because nobody at the time was thinking about people are going to want to do units of these models. They were concentrating on single models. Mike, I think you're totally right, and this totally blows my mind, and you can see that. Northern Alliance was the first Kings of War army I got, and you can see that attitude all over the way that they're packaged and the way that – sorry, I'll put myself back on mute. Sorry, Mike, you carry on. No, you're exactly – that's the thing. Northern Alliance and Night Stalkers were the worst of this because they didn't already have some stuff out for it. Um, So, yeah, you couldn't – and as such that then when they said, okay, we want to do armies of these – yeah, you couldn't get things with it because uh, you had I, – I don't know if there's a name. I call them sprulets. Um, for each one of these little PDC sprulets you have on there, you had parts from every one of the different models. So there was no way to repackage that to, say, just do um, – Frost things, or just do the just the half lead, the half earth circles, for example. Yes. Or the huskals, you couldn't uh, get them separately. Yeah, no, I agree. There was a kind of a packaging mistake, but I think uh, they maybe didn't expect uh, things to work out so well, and that people would want those models also for the bigger game later. And I'm not too sure. Or maybe they that's how they managed to make it work financially on the manufacturing side. Uh, I'm not too sure. I always thought that if somebody would have, you know, and I always have to take the exception that um, when Netmanic is a tiny, tiny company, and maybe they don't have somebody that, that, you know, enough bandwidth to have done this at the time. I think they're paying more attention now to have somebody say, okay, we need to see how your your sprues before you manufacture them. Give us a thing of what the parts are so we know that these can be. And the long, you know, looking at more of the long game, I think Vanguard. I don't know if they ever anticipated that going into Kings of War or not. Um, it was in the same universe where we we're going to have the same factions and things with it. You know, you still have some of the same issues with Dead Zone. Uh, there are Dead Zone factions that it's going to be very difficult to bring those into Firefight uh, simply because, you know, I play um, what, what little I played in that. Um, I like the Nameless and of a lot of those. Well, how do you do a sprue where every unit in there is something completely different? Um, all the revs exactly share. the same revs yeah. exactly Take. the same how do you make a plastic sprue of that um, it's a great idea but getting it out where you can you know mass produce this economically is a tough one so you know they had some they had some things that were real good with it but and anymore that well mantic doesn't kill their games it's still out there Nothing is being refreshed. Um, there's nothing's being touched on it. Nothing's being looked at it, uh, and it's getting harder and harder to get any of the stuff with it because they're not going to be reprinting any of it. So I think, Mike, I might be wrong here, and I don't have any inside information, but I get the sense that with Vanguard, they still like Mantic, still like the rules. It wasn't quite what they needed it to be at, at the time, and maybe that's changed since. I, I feel like I, I I get the impression Mantic are enthusiastic for a second edition. They're just not really sure what direction to go in right now. So I'd be really interested to see what they do. And I, I mean, if there is a second edition Kickstarter or whatever, I'd be really interested. You know, I, I would back it if Vanguard came back to Kickstarter. But um, I'd be interested to see what they do. It's one I don't even think they would need to go to Kickstarter on it. 
I think what they should do is get somebody to, um, and, and I've talked to people that dead zone seems to be such a good rule set. Um, and it is so, you know, we've refined it a couple of times and I've heard people have played it, done it as a, you know, done Vanguard as a fantasy dead zone. Um, you get rid of some of the weird crunchiness in it. Uh, I hate the fact that, you know, I can't, if somebody hits me, I can't always hit them back. Um, I hate the fact that there, yeah, there are so many tokens and what have they done? Are you activated? Are you fatigued? Uh, what have you on it? Um, and I think if they made a, a fantasy dead zone and then it's a thing to bring out the more models and this could be another game, uh, similar to what they've talked about with the new Warpath uh, being redone in a smaller scale, but they could take Vanguard and come out with something that would be much more of a vault only for um, some I of think- these one shot little models. I think one issue with um, like a fantasy dead zone is the dead zone rule set would not work so well if it was mostly melee. I think. Um, I see and, you and say also, that, Claire, but I don't. I don't agree with you. I think it would work great. Um, not so convinced. The other thing is the terrain is not so obvious to to build and make sense of. Um, I mean, we, there there are some STLs. Um, what's his name? I forgot his name. I'm so sorry. Uh, one of the listeners. Dan. Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah, so it's 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 pot. pretty cool looking, pretty cool looking, um, but it doesn't work as well, I think, as any sci-fi game. So I don't know. I as I mentioned, I have a different um, different relationship to Vanguard. I loved the the power dice mechanic. I think uh, that we now also have in Firefight. I think that really is a big thing that differentiates Vanguard from Kings of War. And yes, you're right, they're entirely different games. But I think it is very, a very interesting, very good game. And yes, you only have maybe 8, 9, 10, 12 models in Vanguard. But it's the same in Kings of War, except instead of just one model, you have a full unit. But how many gaming pieces do you have? Well, it's sort of almost similar. And so to have more complexity with Vanguard doesn't actually shock me. I think it's actually interesting to have something else. But uh, I realize I'm in the minority here. Individual units having arcs, I find I find a, a step too far. Fred! Mm, yeah, uh, I think that um, you made a point about Vanguard. Oh, I'm sorry, Ambush being the new kind of small-scale Kings of War. And I, I, I think that is a step in the right direction. Um, that, that should be the... The, the place to focus to if you want to get pay players into Kings War that that um, ambush is probably the, the the correct course way for that. Uh, but I mean, I also agree that Vanguard does have it. It is it is its own feeling to have. I think Ronnie Renton once called it the uh, Black Ops of the Kings War universe. That you have a small team of operatives, almost you know they have to go in and secure an objective and get out. And it's a it's a cool cool way to play and but what if um what if you can do that without um going sort of across the uh, the units of king's war and i, I just uh, had an idea that what, what if um, you made a vanguard game where you just use your heroes because your heroes are all on individual basis maybe you could uh, use their profiles and then give them slight tweaks and so keep the units out of it because 
you'll never get you'll never be able to to combine Kings of War and a game like Vanguard anyway. So what if you just scale it up and make it like Hero Hammer? You know, to, to pardon for using that word, Hero Kings, um, and same game uh, just with heroes and just you know turn it up to eleven as the Americans would say. What do you say, Mark? I say that I've thought about that before, and you were heading in the direction I was heading in. Back when I was a GW outrider, don't kill me, um, you know, uh, boy, was it Warhammer 6th edition? We had Warhammer Fantasy Skirmish, and basically it was uh, Warhammer and it was Skirmish. So what's the matter with taking the Kings of War stat lines and, you know, uh, tossing like three spearmen on a uh, on their own individual bases, you know, with a minimum model count. Don't kill me, Mike. Um, you know, you don't got to worry about that. So <laughs> even with preferred model count, you can still, you know, spare a few guys off of that and put together a little thing. I think the advantage of Vanguard, if you structured it properly to move forward, would be that you paint less models. That would be it. Other than that, I love Ambush. That was been, I mean, Kyle and I played 500 points constantly since first edition. So, um, so I like it, but that's the direction I was going to. And those STLs are awesome. Um, you know, they're kind of, it's a little weird, but you know, I think it could work, you know? So, but that, I, I totally agree with you. Kind of like Mordheim, like, you know, just using the, um, the issues. I'm not a big Vanguard fan. I tried to uh, like it twice. Uh, one time I played in the tournament uh, with Mike over at Origins, and I think I don't know. Did anybody play in that one turn? That one uh, how to learn Vanguard? I think we just sat around and talked the whole time. <laughs> People were looking at their models, going, "What the?" You know. So I I can uh, see a Mup Shorts episode where Clem is showing us Vanguard and trying to get us to to enjoy it. Mike. So it was interesting, as Frederick was mentioning there, about doing something that's just based actually on the uh, Kings of War heroes, because I was thinking that right before he said it, that I think one of the ways to do it is they need to pull back a little bit from your ordinary troops and make this purely elite even smaller so it is, um, you know, possibly monsters and heroes and you're not even looking at your regular troops on here. Because uh, one of the things you have to look at with it always is that this is a company in the end. Things have to be economical with it. And making individuals that you're only selling one or two of is not economical for them. They've shown that. But you can put them out on the vault, have it out there, and come up with your rule set with it. Um, and there could be something much better. But I think the rule set definitely needs to be worked on. It's just It doesn't flow well. And for something with only, you know, a handful of models, it's supposed to be the fact that it takes longer to play it than it does a regular Kings of War game. Just I mean, I find it actually it's great because it means you don't have to paint 150 models and you still have a very deep uh, strategic game. Uh, it's just easier to get into it. I, I don't see it as a bad side. The other thing is I played a Vanguard campaign uh, like with a, our local gaming group with, I don't know, like eight people. And it was actually very interesting, and um, like to see each uh, fighter in the band progress over the campaign was quite interesting, and that works with the current rules. I'm not sure. I mean, if you go from melee three to melee two in Kings of War, that makes a big, big, big difference. So yeah, I don't know. I think some of the things wouldn't work. 
And I, I think it's a mistake to try to attach it too much to Kings of War from the rules perspective, because as you, as you guys said earlier, ambush is the way to get started with Kings of War. It's perfect for that. It's the same gaming experience, the same core engine, and you don't need to do that again. So I think pushing it more to focus on the heroes maybe could be interesting. Um, pushing it more to a role-playing game experience, uh, or like uh, uh, Mark mentioned, like uh, the Mordime style, where uh, it's the campaign that actually makes it shine. I'm 100% in favor of this. Like um, Necromunda is my favorite game ever. Um, well, not the current edition. I don't like it, but the um, like the campaign system I think is very very interesting uh, from a gaming perspective. But yeah, I think keeping Vanguard is its own thing. Maybe not with the current rule set because it looks like I'm the only one who likes it in the whole world. Um, but not trying to push it into being dead zone or not trying to push it's it into being kings of actually, war. Actually, Clem, so, sorry, buddy. I'll interrupt you there. You, you're definitely not. There is a small but very passionate support, you know, support for Vanguard. You know, people people that like it love it. Um, but a lot of people are confused and, and put off for the reasons we talked. I mean, what I was just, just to build on something that Mike mentioned, and I very much agree with, is we pitched on the podcast previously, you know, something that I call Kings of War Champions. And that is basically, and maybe Clem has a point that we're filling a niche that doesn't exist, right? Because, you know, you can play Dead, if you want to play Dead Zone, go and play Dead Zone. Stop stop bothering me but um the the my premise was exactly as mike mentioned you go to a kings of war tournament and on the friday night beforehand you take the heroes out of your box and you just play this uh basically dead zone fantasy um with your with you just with your heroes so you're not buying more models or anything like that you could have um you know our, our friend of the friend of the pod has designed already some stls for it that look really cool of kind of a medieval destroyed city looks really really cool but you could have goblin caves dwarf hold maybe you know mantic give us the stls it's part of the vault something like that so you know it might be i mean i can't see really where mantic are making a massive profit but it it could be a cool thing and as you say maybe with ambush maybe there's just no requirement for this but um it's, it's just cool and interesting to talk about mark i was just going to mention too um if you do something with champions and the heroes and things like that a those cost a little bit more money to buy and two they would sell more of them so i'm i'm kind of seeing a little mojo here for kings of war champions or just pulling the heroes out of your box you know, for Kings of War and things like that. Now, you won't use all those heroes when you play in a big Kings of War game, but you'll use a few of them. Absolutely. So, And we're probably going to say this probably won't be that balanced because we're only taking pre-existing heroes out of your your, your army case and just playing with those. But it, it feels to me like it might be a low-cost thing for Mantic to do, um, and it might be super fun, right? Cool. Um, and yeah, then- I could see that happen. I mean... I think Vanguard was uh, decently balanced. Uh, some of the things you could abuse a little bit, but it wasn't that crazy. Maybe it's just that the local group uh, wasn't very competitive anyway. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think there is definitely something to do, um, like for Fantasy Skirmish in Panithor. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Mantic actually does at the end. 
I do like the see. scenarios for it, and I, f- I love the fact that they turned one of them, Hunt the Giant, has become a Armada scenario with Hunt the Kraken. And it is basically the exact same scenario, just moved from Vanguard to Armada. Why not? Yeah, I mean, if it's cool, why not? Um, and But actually, Clem, interestingly, so I'm all for my own idea of Kings of War champions, obviously. Um, but actually... Now, as I said, now Vanguard doesn't have to be the, the, the or should theoretically be the lead in for Kings of War. I feel like it's got a much more free hand to be what it, whatever the heck it wants to be. So if Mantic went in a direction of, OK, Vanguard is much more, uh, you know, campaign based, it's much more kind of RPG like. Um, actually, I'd be really interested in that, you know, lean into the crunchiness and the weirdness and all the rest of it, the campaign stuff. That sounds cool. I mean, I, I could I could imagine us having a ton of fun doing that. Mike. Just be a little careful when you use when you mention a uh, uh, Kings of War. Uh, sorry about that. Be a little careful when you mention RPG and Kings of War in the same sentence. <laughs> I think Red that's Star. a little sensitive on them. <laughs> we lost we lost money on that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Do we know, Mike? Do we know really what happened? And I don't. Maybe we can't talk about this on the podcast. But uh, yeah, it, it seemed like it was a legitimate company with a lot of experience, and it just kind of never. They never delivered for, to Mantic, right? And there was didn't seem to be much to save. That's actually from what I've heard that they managed to um, um, well, hide the fact that they weren't actually making any progress. So here's a page, here's a page, uh, same one. And what little tiny previews that they gave them apparently was all they ever produced. I don't know what had happened. Uh, what amazed me is that, that, that Mantic went and made the Hellboy RPG separately on their own. And that came out just fine with it. Um, it almost seems backward that they farmed out the Kings of War one to another company. Um, I actually did the the did a demo of it back even uh, with what, right before the Kickstarter or whatever on it at Gen Con many years ago, and I thought it was a fun system. We actually had fun. I'd like. Sorry, to Mike. See- are you talking about Hellboy or Kings of War? Kings of War. Right. I right. did. I did the Kings of War one with the. Um, the tricore system or whatever they had with it um, right before the Kickstarter came out. It actually worked. I had fun with it. It was a fun little, you know, one shot campaign we ran. Um, so why couldn't, you know, but when I looked at and saw that, that Mantic did Hellboy as a, as an RPG, it surprised me that they went to some other company to do their own product going outside. And maybe the people who did Hellboy, if they had a chance, would come back and look at uh, Kings of Oregon sometime in the future when I'm they sure have they would, when they have more time. Be, it will be a tricky one though when Mantic come back to the community and go, "Hey guys, oh, Kings of War RPG, you know you lost money on that last time. Well, this time, it, honestly, everything will be brilliant." So I think it will be. Um, yeah, and you know what the internet's like, right, Fred? It'll, ha- it'll have to be done like they do uh, have done some other stuff where. Here's the book. It's done. It's ready. Um, not a Kickstarter, not anything. Just introduce an RPG book like you do so many RPGs. Great point. Uh, I always found it a bit of a tall order to 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 deliver like a uh, mantic, like a Kings of War RPG because the whole point of an RPG system is that you can tweak it to whatever you want, and the, the game master can. It can do whatever changes he, he likes to the world and to the background and everything. And there's no reason you couldn't just play with D&D rules and just rewrite everything to be 
Mantic or Kings of War base. I, I, I honestly found the idea of a Mantic RPG to be exaggerated or not needed. Uh, and just like if you, if you have a group of people who like to play role playing games, you could just do it right now tomorrow with you know there's no need for a book on, of its own really it's just my opinion actually i'd like Mark. to see it. you can do it as a d20 um campaign supplement or a, a campaign setting with it so just use the d20 use the open geo license on it and yeah. okay here's the stats for heroes monsters etc here's things and have you know do all of the pieces you need for role-playing mm-hmm. in uh panathor with it uh just the established setting on it and then so have somebody work at, fr- at you know adventures yeah. fr- fred and mike what i'm getting from this conversation is you guys are firmly committing to making this happen right and us on the pod now we can have an rpg group that we can uh, make into episodes and content for the dear <laughs> listener going forward right fred, well, my, that's my, what you're saying? my point is it's not hard to i mean uh, I, i'm not going to commit to that that's your words not mine uh, i'm not admitting to that chris <laughs> i might edit, i might edit that bit out Fuck. oh yeah so i lost money on it too and um i don't know if anybody remembers probably not because nobody mentioned it um we did have an rpg show on countercharge i think we did three episodes we had the gentleman mark laneworthy on the episode i think it was on the second episode um uh, that we were going through everything. And uh, from what I understand, he had family illness issues and uh, that were really bad. And that's, you know, he, he tried to do it. And, you know, he did what Mike said, you know, they, you know, a page here, a page there. Um, we did get some information on a starter kit that we used for fifth edition. Also one for the uh, Tricore system. And, you know, we did play a couple of games of it. Um, we did get delivered some STLs of some figures, which was cool. Um, and what was I going to say? Oh, and he was supposed to write a novel for Brandon too. That was supposed to be coming out from Wing Hussar. So it wasn't just a role-playing game that failed. It, it failed on multiple levels and it's a real shame, uh, that it happened. You know, we were very, very excited about it. And I think but I like Mike's point, idea, but I like Mike's have- idea about, the. You know, just doing a fifth aid campaign book. I think that's probably all you need. So, yeah, definitely. And I think at this point we have to say, you know, if, if there's illness involved, uh, we have to be a little bit sensitive that these are people and the people's lives, you know, and and obviously people's health is much more important than us getting a getting an RPG book. But uh, yeah, I, it was a shame. It shame it didn't happen. Um, I'm really excited about this idea of, an, of a Panathor RPG, to be quite honest with you. Um, and I'd love a Warpath RPG too, to be honest. The thing is, what I think uh, what you need is uh, the background and the names, characters, locations. But th- like, if you order a game like that, like make us an RPG for King's War, how do you even know that the, the game mechanics are good? I, I had this, this sense that what if this c- game comes out and the game mechanics are not great? What if I would prefer, like, oh, I would prefer just standard D&D rules or Pathfinder rules or, you know, you you play the games or the role-playing rule sets that you like and you can't just order a game and expect it to be good or better than what's currently out there. So I, I just always found it strange, really, to, to order a RPG game and just assume that it's going to be competitive to what's already out there. Interesting point. Mike? Well, and... 
I thought it was interesting that they were doing Tricor and D20 rules at the same time with it. Um, it's like, and I agree, why reinvent the wheel on it? Why build a brand new system for it when instead you can just build a campaign setting and you can use, you know, I've, uh, there's enough stuff out there uh, under the open game license and things I believe that you could build uh, without, I, I don't think you have to do too much, even new rules on it if you had to, to, you know, emulate, okay, here we've got all the different races and, and, you know, here's your basic playable classes and things and tie them all into very close to what's already there. Uh, it's a campaign setting and characters and, you know, give a, a bestiary of the various monsters and, you know, bad guys you would fight with it. So I'm, I'm someone that actually, I haven't played a like an actual tabletop RPG ever. So I, I'm very excited to, um, but I'm someone who's, playing a bit of Baldur's Gate 3 when I have the time, which is not often, but still. Um, and I'm finding the the randomness of the D20, okay, there's modifiers, but I'm finding it very frustrating <laughs> with my playthrough. It seems very arbitrary whether something is really successful or really, you know, catastrophic fail kind of thing. Like, ah, oh, just rolled <laughs> a one. It just, it's, um, yeah, you know. It's it, something you would uh, hear also from people who have played older D&D editions or the pathfinder second edition which is more like advanced D&D, that it's they don't like the fifth ed rules that the Baldur's gate uh, three is based on because they also find the d20 too random and the only thing you can get is you can get the advantage of course to roll two dice but in these other game systems you have more like flatter you can get like you know several uh, modifiers that make it less random this is the only podcast with the balls to do all the games. Super. So, guys, I don't think we can procrastinate any longer. I think, to be honest, we need to move on to actually talking about the Clash of Kings book. And obviously, the dear listeners listened for two hours already without us actually talking about the meat of the episode. So, um, I mean, it's great. Go buy it and read it. Yes, it. please, dear listener. Topic Absolutely. Okay, oh, Clive, is that your is that your contribution, Clem? Yeah, that's topic done. Potshot is gone. Uh, Titans are unit strengths too. That's stupid. But the rest is great. Buy it and move on. Right. Let's uh, <laughs> let's be a, a tiny bit more structured than that. So um, so just so the dear listener knows, so Clem, Mark, and myself um, secured a, an early access copy. I think Mike, did you as well, or and not, but just not read it. Um, yeah, I, I haven't gone through it. Uh, we got one so that people could see the some of the list for it, uh, but no pictures, no writing anything down or anything at the tournament um, last week at Michigan GT. Uh, so the reason I bring this up is I just want the dear listeners to know, blame me, blame Mark and blame Clem. But Mike and Fred are blameless. They've not read it. Okay, so leave them alone. Bless them. Um, yeah, I'm just excited, really, to hear. <laughs> Fantastic. So Beautiful Fred, artwork in it. Twilight Kin is obviously a, a book that's near and dear to your heart. Yeah, actually, to be honest, that was one of the things I was going to mention, Mike, um, because of my incredible attention to detail of barely knowing the rules of Kings of War. The book is absolutely beautiful, I think. Absolutely beautiful. Really, really nice photos, really nice layout, lovely artwork. Um, so let's let's skip ahead. So we're going to come back to the Lord in the panel law section. So we've skipped ahead to the Twilight Kin list 
that we're just going to have a quick look at. We're just going to go over a few little bits and pieces that jump out to us, obviously, with the uh, with the changes to the other armies. So let's start. Well, with first the of all, soul flayers haven't changed because they are, in, they are in the list. So Wait, Mike, I'm saying this, but let me double check. Is that even true? That's <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving, Mike. So when Clem and I bless us when we were young and naive podcasters and we reviewed the big red book and uh, we didn't i mean to be fair to us we only had about 24 hours to actually uh, pass it and it's a massive book but yeah one of the the things we looked up was soul flayers and uh, we didn't notice they went down from speed 10 to speed 8 uh, which uh, they are cheaper out- now no they are cheaper in the in the toilet kidneys no the thing is it was my army in 2022 i believe right night stalkers and so obviously that's the first thing that i looked because i thought oh i know the profiles right so if i look through the book uh, on the night stalkers i will detect all the changes obviously obviously and then i saw none of them and uh, yeah they actually changed a few things mm. here and there so uh, expectations are low, uh, it's fair to say. So Twilight Kin, so let's talk about, so alignment still evil. Army special rules is blood hex. Dark magic infuses the warriors of the Twilight Kin to fight through unmanageable pain. Oh, I couldn't say that word. Once per game, after resolving a movement order, a unit carrying a blood hex may increase their defense by one until the start of the controlling player's next turn. The blood hex is then destroyed and cannot be used again for the remainder of the game. So you can basically give yourself temporarily plus one defense. And uh, that costs, let me have a little look. It depends on the units, right? It depends on the the size. But it's usually five points, like it's the the five points uh, upgrade. I think it's pretty nice um, because as we've all seen, like a, a well-placed bane chant uh, can make a like a big difference uh, here or there, and so getting plus one defense like this can also like change the other way around. So I think it is one of the best five-point uh, accessory rule. I think, like really, I, I really like it, especially because the whole army is very low in defense. Like it's a glass cannon army. So it's a very fitting uh, special rule, I think. The way the way I imagine this happening, Clem, is that with the Twilight Kin, you want to be hitting first, right? You, you don't want to be punched. So I think probably the way this would work is you hit the other, you hit the other army, do a you know kill stuff, then you would pop this, um, you know, so when they fight back, it's less effective. Do you agree with that? Um, potentially, I'm just trying to read again when that happens. So that's after resolving a movement order. Yes, I mean it could also just be a deterrent, right? Like um, yeah, you have that chaff chaff somewhere, and uh, you know you would potentially just get a charge. Boom! You you launch the blood hex, and then it makes it. To, it needs to be a double charge to be sure. Maybe not just against chaff, but against like a weaker flank or something. And so I think it could be very interesting. Um, I, I think it's it's a great army special rule. Uh, let's just uh, leave it at that. Yeah. What do you guys I'm, think? Definitely so. And then maybe we can just move on to talk a little bit about the, the army. So elite is still, as you might imagine, still a very prevalent special rule um, across the army. What's really interesting is so they've got 
uh, in terms of infantry, they've got Corsair Void Walkers, Corsair Fleet Wardens, which, you know, that all sounds really cool, Bound Reapers. Um, so, you know, that's a little bit of the kind of uh, nightmare stuff that's, that's bound to them. The Void Touched Weaver. Um, but then you've also got quite a lot of heavy infantry. So you've got Void Touch Mutants, Bound Phantoms, Corsair Wranglers. Um, so that I mean, that's an interesting choice. I think one thing the, um, that is defining, defining the army a, a bit is there are three big categories. And uh, it, it kind of makes me think of the Mason Labs uh, in um, in Firefight, right. yeah. where you can take some plague elements, you can take some GCPS elements, and then some unique Mason Labs elements. And so here you have something similar, right? You have the more elf stuff, the more Night Stalker stuff, and the more uh, mutant elf in a way, like the Void Touched. Yeah. I think that's kind of what it is. And they all have their own special synergies. And then you need to also play between these two, these three uh, facets of the army, like choose which one uh, you rely most on, maybe, or get figure out how to make those work together. I think it's a very it's a very interesting way to to build a list. Mike, do you want to say something? Yeah, one of the things that um, Kyle Przlinski, who played this for us at the Michigan GT last weekend, um, and he was going to bring it even if they hadn't released the list to the Companion, which they did um, just last week, a week before he was there. Uh, but he was going to do it. He actually painted up uh, some of the pre-release models. There's even some of the models he hasn't gotten yet, um, even though he works for the company. So he had the list, and we were talking some of it. One of the interesting things to realize is – Yes, they have Night Stalker units, but they're not quite the same Night Stalker units. If you notice in each of them, they're missing a special rule. Mind yes, thirst? they don't have Night, Mind Thirst. Yes. They don't have Mind Thirst on any of the bound nine, Night Stalkers, so you will need Inspiring with them. Um, a little different there. No, it is, it is quite cool. interesting. I mean, the, um, I haven't wrapped my mind around the, the, the rules yet. I haven't built lists for them. But uh, I like that there's there's a bunch of interesting options, and uh, yeah, I need to digest it a bit further before I write lists. But but I like what I see, and um, I mean it's not really a review of the book, right? But uh, we've seen the models in the flesh uh, in the UK, and they're just yeah, they're really really good models. They're really nice. They look uh, so much better in real life than in, in the pictures. I mean, so. to be honest, the only reason I haven't ordered the mega bundle on the website, you know, the one click bundle is just I don't have a hobby space at the moment. Um, but that will change uh, <laughs> as soon as the work in the basement is finished and I've got my hobby space back um, because I just think this is such a cool list. It's such a, you know, as, as, as we know, I, d I don't know much, but just I love the theme. I love the units. Um, I love the impalers. I love the, sh the void skiffs just think it's super super cool right and as we've said we well, can go down various different routes you can specialize in things you can have a balanced list between the different you know the really nicely meshing themes i think it's also it reminds me a bit of uh, the halfling uh, lists where it can get very tactical actually to build the proper auras and position them in the right spot uh, some of the Twilight Kin also have Rally, I think, like a special 
characters, if I remember properly. And so I think it could become a very tactical army to play. And um, I like this. I also like that it's not, it doesn't feel like it's too much, like uh, with too many weird rules or uh, special things. It still feels like a Kings of War army. But it's but, super, uh, yeah. super themey. So I know we had the Sword of Umbra yes. already on Mikhail, but we've got, you know, the Eye of Valak, the Fell Blades. It just, it's just really, really cool. Mike, sorry, buddy. No, that's fine. I like the, uh, they're, they played with a couple of things, and this is not your, you know, this is not your previous elf army. Uh, except for the Corsairs, there aren't anybody that actually looks like elves in this army. Uh, and there's no cavalry. Uh, but you've got your Void Touch mutants that are heavy infantry that are pretty much just like cavalry. But they don't have the weakness that cavalry has, say, against uh, Phalanx when they're hitting you with it. Um, but they actually have that role that cavalry would have. And they have a very similar stat line to what cavalry has. Um, I, you know, There is almost no shooting in this. There can be a lot more lightning bolt. Um, than you would normally see in things, but really the skiffs are the only the skiffs are the only um, of the uh, Twilight Elf units that actually have any shooting, and they have the shooting off their broadsides. And I've heard lots of people talking about this. Nobody's had enough to play it to see. Okay, is it real? How exposed are you really exposing your flanks to shoot from the sides instead of the front? Uh, but so I like that it's playing with these. Yeah, you know, lots of different things with it. Um, but for anybody who had the old Twilight Kin, there's not much that you know you can even proxy well to go over to it. Yeah, absolutely right. The Impalers now—they're they, monstrous infantry, and uh, I've got to be honest—I think they seem absolutely terrifying. So the the, the horde is 225 points, uh, unit strength three, 18 attacks as you might expect, fearless 17. They're speed five, melee threes, defense four, but they've got big shield, crush one, elite, and wild charge D3. Um, so I think if used correctly, that big shield, fearless. And they can benefit from a bunch of auras as well. Yeah, that's the, totally. That's the key element. Totally. And, um, and just, and you know, we, we obviously we're not going to do this blow for blow, but I really like there's a new... Um, named character in there to go with Mikhail but there's also the the Gordrake I just wanted to draw attention to just sounds really cool so it's a, a height 6 190 points uh, Titan so it's speed 8 melee 3 and defense 5 um, unit strength 2 as all Titans are now in the new, with the new book and Clem mentioned he didn't like that I actually think that's kind of cool but uh, but I'm sure Clem knows more than I do but the Gordrake's got 7 attacks and um, crush two fly nimble strider and then it's special rule vo- void charged beast whenever the unit rolls to hit in melee it can re-roll th- uh, three di- three of the dice that failed to hit so it's going to be really consistent um so i really i think that's really interesting 190 points kind of mini dragon really with only, with only a seven attacks but of course you're going to try and get that in the flank speed eight so it's not just another speed 10 flying thing but to me that just sounds really cool if i can say one thing also that i like um about the list is they have a unique rule about spell casting from the summoner crone unit and that is called wicked miasma uh, which is that um, practically all of their spells also cause damage, 
in in you know in addition to to use to doing what they also do like their enthrall or their hex and their weakness and their wind blast also does damage with piercing one which is the first time we see in any list so you can do and these spells have a longer range uh, than many other damage spells so uh, it is pretty like, cool yes yes what is hex is like 30 inches isn't it or 36 or something and uh, you can cast that if you want if you need a super long range damage spell you can just throw another spell which is not lightning bolt but it works in the same way as a lightning bolt it just has longer range but maybe fewer dice so that's very unique and new and uh, like everything they do causes damage in addition to whatever also it does you know mess up with your movements and push you back pull you in cast hex so yeah that's uh, that's new. Actually, since you mentioned hex specifically, that was something on the old hex casters for the abyssal dwarves. Um, they liked it when oh, they yeah, cast any of their spells that right, they cause yeah. damage with it as well. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, it's it's good that they have you know, and hex can also be a great spell. Also, you can shut down their casters and hurt them now. Exactly. Uh, yeah. They used to make <laughs> the hex casters great with it. So yeah, the the heroes on here, there's just it's. I think it's going to be tough to choose which ones you want. Because yeah, they're very utility. Like uh, either you get a navigator with their auras, uh, or you the summoner crones with can cause damage with all their spells. It's like they 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 will always be able to do something in every turn. So yeah, they'd probably be super effective. Yeah, really cool, really cool. And maybe we could just mention as well the formation, the crew of the Heartseeker. So it's two troops of Corsair fleet wardens. And one regiment of impalers. That's interesting. It's regiment. And the Corsair fleet wardens amend their nerve to fearless twelve and attacks to fourteen. The impaler regiment gains the rallying one Corsair's only special rule. So uh, yeah, I mean that's the ambush. That's the ambush box, right? Which is super cool. Yeah, good point, Clem. Yeah, fantastic. I've heard they were pushing that all Amanda wants to have the um, formations tied in the ambush boxes. I like it. That is a great idea. Actually, that sense, that's yeah. a great idea. I, 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 I like the idea. I don't actually like it that it's going to be tied into what they built out of the ambush boxes. If you know what you I mean. You don't think it's it. going to be Fair competitive enough? enough? Well, I no, I just, I just don't know on it because it's like, um, so your ambush box, you get, you have impalers and, you know, twenty corsairs. Well, here they're doing fleet wardens. Well, why, in my ambush box, why I may not have wanted to do. Uh, two troops of fleet wardens. I may have wanted to do a troop of void walkers and a troop of fleet wardens. Well, you can buy another box of uh, ambush <laughs> because they're so cheap anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it, it bingo, is. Bingo, clam, bingo. I know I did hear somebody saying that. Yeah, it's great, but I don't want troops. You know, I don't want these smaller size of any of these units. I want at least, you know, regiments and a horde of impalers. So that's the the one thing I can see with this formation is you know unless. And I have people saying, do you want to go a big MSU list on here with it, where you're going all with yeah. small units? So who knows? And how, yeah, do yeah, you, I mean, how do you unlock this formation? I mean, they're all troops and stuff. I mean, is that an irregular formation? Do you need do you, do you, do you need unlocks to get this? Or is it a... I can't really see any... I can't see a star on there. Does that mean I can put these in, even though there are just troops and... Uh, uh, large infantry regiments. 
I mean, the fleet wardens are regular, so it's just uh, you would unlock it like a normal troop. Uh, I don't think there's any... Um, yeah, there's nothing special about it. So I need to build my list to be able to fit these in, then, because I would need three I think that's, that's always... Uh, isn't that always the case uh, with the formations? I think I so. <laughs> I think so. But I think my my issue with uh, putting the ambush boxes as formations means there will be no heroes in the for, in the formations, and um, that part might be a bit too constraining in a way because I think it it was pretty cool. Like some of the formations, it's a bit thematic, where you have one hero, like a specific named hero, and his special buddies, and they have a special rule. If you if you stick to exclusively the ambush boxes, this uh, this kind of goes out. It's a so, fair yeah, point, Claire. Uh, but yeah. I could imagine a world in which you know there are two formations in an army, and you you, you have to pick one or something like that. You know, okay, it's more stuff to balance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but there's nothing no, to say enough. they can only have one, right? It's a, yeah. And I think it's fundamentally, I think it's a good idea, but that's an interesting point, Clem. Cool. Do we have, um, an, you know, I know, of course, we're not going into this in, in massive detail. Do we have any other thoughts regarding the, the, the um, Twilight Kin um, list before we move on to kind of general updates and we'll come back to the law? Anything uh, we want to talk discuss before we move on? I just wanted to say I'm curious to see uh, what people build with it, because I think there's a, it's a list f- uh, full of options. And uh, as, I, as I said earlier, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm curious to see lists and uh, see what people uh, come up with with it. So yeah. sorry, Claire. I think it means it's a success is what I'm saying. Let's, let's throw out the caveat as well that we're talking about, oh, you know, we, haven't, we need to build some lists. We're rubbish at building lists, right? We're not competitive players. We just we just play this game for fun, right, Clem? So Talk for yourself. <laughs> if you're... <laughs> If you're waiting for the for the filthy list, um, you, you, you know we are not the guys to uh, to talk to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just waiting for the good net list to win my next tournament. You know, that's uh... Mark. Well, you know what, guys, we will bring on somebody special when we do our full cock. Uh, 24 review. So we go over the lists and all the changes. We will bring on a special guest. Ooh, sounds good. So Same. yes, so let's um someone smart. Infinitely <laughs> smart. No, the podcast. no one smart is allowed on this podcast. You should have known that. <laughs> That's not good for our self-esteem, Clem. That's not good. Um super. So let's let's just very quickly, as Mark as Mark says, we are gonna go over this again with somebody who is more of a sort of a competitive mindset or uh, you know more keyed into these things so let's talk let's talk in in kind of generalities then so um things we can definitely say is uh, soft layers are unchanged no uh, all titans are now unit strength two and they've removed the pot shot rule mark so we'll be very happy for our guardian archers for our empire of dust um we also have some new special rules redeploy which is very wordy, but let's see how we do. After deployment, and all scout moves have been completed by both players, but before rolling for the first turn, this unit may be picked up and redeployed anywhere in the controlling player's deployment zone. And I'm not going to bother to read the bit that says if you both have, both have redeploy, how to do it. Um, but redeploy, yeah. it kind of it says it, it's I mean, exactly it's as you might explain it. You might think it's, it's really cool, right? 
because it existed power. before in several units, but as unique rift. rules for each rift entry. Forged, uh, the Cyclops in the Rift Forge orcs. In the Kingdoms of Men also, they had something like this, like with the captain. Yeah, the, the captain, yeah. And so I think having it as a general keyword that everyone can use and you clarify it once and for all, I think it's the smart way to go. Fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. But for for the... Um, so Parchot being gone, I think... So yeah. what, what does that mean? Does that mean they can move and fire just as normal units, just with minus ones, so they become better? Is that it? I think so, yeah. yeah. Like uh, most units that had Parchot before just don't have the rule anymore, but they don't have steady aim either. So it means they move and then we'll have a minus one to shoot. Minus one. I think okay. I think if you looked at the list, I, I'm not that much of an expert about every army, but I think you had either people with steady aim or people with pot shot. And mm. at some point, pot shot is such a penalty. that It means you just don't move and shoot anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's not that bad of an idea to get rid of it and still hurt you if you want to move and shoot with some of these units but not to the point where you never ever do it well, I see. A, what pot shot replaced if you go back a little bit was so many uh there were a lot of units that actually had reload on them yeah, that were artillery reload drew. Yeah. so it replaced that to say okay now you can still do it and now they said oh we need to back off against that anymore you know you look at um dwarves with their guns or crossbows and originally they were reloads in their pot shot now they're just normal shooting at minus one when they move um so it's becoming more and more lenient then for this yes hmm. dwarf the, players um, rejoice so well dwarfs also <laughs> get the, um, the ordered march rule right like the yeah i think the northern the northern alliance guys already had it and so it basically means you can do one pivot when you go at the double that's so good, isn't it? So yes. good. So you're you not nimble, so you can't charge with uh, one more pivot, but you gain back a bit of mobility with your dwarves that are obviously slow because short legs and and, and everything. But um, I think it's a, it's a interesting rule and it works well for the dwarves. I think the free dwarves also got a bunch, uh, bunch of cool stuff. Um, so... Yeah. Guys, the next rule I don't understand, secure position. This unit is considered a uh, a scoring unit with a unit strength of zero. So why didn't they just give it unit strength one? Does it mean that if you're competing against an enemy, so instead of you both have unit strength one, if if you're contesting a point, it means you lose, I guess. But You can carry token. You cannot score, but you can carry tokens, I believe. Well, interesting. Look at it this way, because if you look and see units that have gotten this, a lot of it are artillery pieces to help artillery a little bit. So now they now they control an area as long as there's no but nobody at all contesting it because they have no unit strengths. That sounds really cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, perfect. And so it's, and yeah, they they could pick up a token, they score, but you know you get them across the line. Well, they don't do any, they don't help you there because they have no unit strength. Uh, but yeah, the whole idea is okay. That sounds. I control really an area as long as nobody else is there. I like that a lot. That makes perfect sense. So I it's really called like zero, but it's still a positive number, sort of in the. 0.5, Let's call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, 
I'm, now I'm, I'm not sure. Can you carry token if you have unit strength zero? Maybe I'm wrong about it. I, I would need to read the rule again. No but worries. I think it's what, what Mike said. Um, so are they differentiating between zero and nothing? Yeah. Um, in a way, but, yes. So you are still unit strength zero, but you do have the, this capacity, like you are still considered a scoring unit. So this and is like so when, Fred, Fred yeah. imagine it has so just imagine it has unit strength 0.5. So if if let's say there's a cannon on a point at the back, if yeah. if there's no one else there, they're going to score that that victory point or whatever that objective. But if a knucker charges it and gets in, then the knucker has got unit strength one and it it obviously wins. So it's mm, it yeah. basically means as long as it's not contested, then the cannon or whatever can score the the victory point but the moment anything else of the enemy with unit strength no matter how small comes in the cannon yeah. can't and it makes it makes perfect sense to me i really okay, like so it so it's 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 kind of a throwback to second edition then when the war engines actually had uh, i mean that's before they even invented the concept of unit strength i mean you just count the, the number of units i think that were in the in the square or in the in the area um and worm engines could also pick up tokens and all that so it's a slight return towards the old rule set then i guess um yeah also when it talks about tokens it doesn't say anything about unit strength it says non-scoring units cannot pick up nor carry the loot counters mm. uh, all right so, so oh but i i wonder if that's deliberate or not though yes that's interesting mm. so i think can, it is yes yeah, so they can, uh, they can pick, you can put your loot counters on them. You can put a, a I know, sense other an FAQ on. coming. <laughs> <laughs> nice, uh, cool. Mark, do you want to do you want to carry take it away with the amended special rules? All right. So the amended special rule, we've only got one that got amended. Iron resolve, of course, with the N inside the parentheses there. If this unit is steady as a result of a nerve test, it regains N points of damage previously suffered to a maximum of three. If no value is specified, the unit has iron resolve one. What so Chris, think, question for you. What, what's the difference with what it was before? So basically it's getting potentially more powerful, right? So instead yeah, of always being one, it could be. Yeah, exactly. I suppose some units might be designated a higher number on their stat line. Exactly. It was already the case. I'm pretty uh, sure resilience already had iron resolve two on some units, right? Mm, I'm not sure. I mean, there is Life Leech 2. Not sure if there was Iron Resolve 2. There might be. Uh, also, there's an item which adds 1 to it. Uh, so you, you always had the ability to go higher than 1. You could get uh, Iron Resolve 2 if you just bought the item. But mm, I guess this. Because it was plus 1. Mm. Exactly, yeah. So, But this opens the door for having Iron Resolve 2, u- two units. Uh, I hope they won't make Iron Resolve 3 units. That would be crazy. It's like. Don't be stupid enough to shoot at them because they'll heal back up. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Right. Well, the Bass Lands, their special rule, wasn't it the Aegis fragment? So that gave uh, them extra yeah. iron resolve. So Right. Keep, Mark, Mark, keep reading. Keep reading. <laughs> so there you go. Amended magical artifacts. So Aegis of the Alohi. The unit gains the I'm Resolve plus one special rule. There uh-huh. you go. So see, it's now you see why, one. because you could stack all this stuff together. And then, so Boots of Levitation add the infantry and heavy infantry only condition, which I would have thought it had already, but apparently not. 
I think you could have a hero on a horse and run around um, with with uh, speed eight or speed nine and still cast spells. But now you can only do it on foot. Then I suppose. Nice. I used I used to have my iron caster on great winged half breed, so he was a titan, speed ten flying with the boots of levitation, so he could move twenty and cast. Because I oh, want to get that. Okay. Uh, I want I want to get that surge off in my epistle dwarves where I needed it. So they nerfed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's a huge difference, isn't it? If you mess up your deployment or something, you can fly, you know, fly twenty and cast a spell, but now you can just run like. 10. <laughs> nice. So Alchemist Curse uh, looks like the points have gone up um, by 10 points at each level. So apparently that was undercosted. And um, Blizzard add the following text if one or more points of damage are dealt, the damage enemy unit is given the frozen special rule, which I very much imagine is a Northern Alliance thing. Hmm. Nice. I mean, it also means you can deliver frozen to units across the table, because Blizzard is like range thirty-six or something. Yeah. So you could uh, screw up a charge from across the table if you wanted to. That's really cool. Um, so thematically, um, it really makes sense. <laughs> it does, yeah. yeah. Blizzard. Absolutely. So, interestingly, so I don't know how much. You know, we, we need to really go over the, the army-specific changes. Um, I will a, do that a, later, I think, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I just oh, wanted yeah. to get back quickly to the the unit strength of the Titans. I think I don't like this change. I don't understand even why they did it. Do you guys have an opinion on it? To up to unit strength too. Um, isn't it to try and encourage people to take more Titans? Is is the issue that people don't take enough of them, and that if they're any unit strength one, you know, they're kind of they're not going to beat a Knucker or something, you know, like a, a budget equivalent. So, I mean, I'd be interested why you don't like it, Clem, because on the face of it, I, I actually do like it. You're not going to well, beat I, a regiment. I don't want a regiment to be unit strength too. You know what I mean? Like, if hordes and regiments also got a bump, then yes, I support it. But like the, the most powerful regiment, like horde, is unit strength four. I don't know. I I would like to see more actual um, troops, like infantry, in the game more than more heroes or more titans and stuff. So I don't know. I think um, it makes sense in a way that yes, the titan has more unit strength than a small monster. Or like a small, large infantry hero. But, um, yeah, that two titans are worth a horde of uh, ceremonial guards. Mm, I'm not a big fan of it. Is what I'm and saying. I, I just wanted to mention, fair enough, buddy. Just wanted to mention that the pharaoh on Royal Chariot, which I took to Clash of Kings, um, he was already massively over cost. Uh, you know, I think he was too expensive for what he did, albeit I, I just thematically loved it. Um, and he's changed quite a lot. Like maybe we'll talk about it next uh, next time. But it, that's one of the things that just jumped out at me that, that, that they've changed the nature of this uh, this unit. Nice. So um, there's loads of lovely lovely artwork in here. Da, 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 da. Be interested to see what the halfling changes are after their massive massive wins they've had recently. There's a bunch of things uh, here and there. I mean, some units have been changed. Also, the Glade Stalkers, um, the unit strength is now only two for the regiment. Uh, the Scorch Wings are also a bit more expensive. The Greater Air Elemental also 
um, with less attacks now. Like th there are a few changes here and there. Uh, and interestingly, for example, the forces of, of the abyss. Uh, several of the units are now cheaper. Um, I'm not sure that was really super needed, but uh, why not? I mean, I'll take it. And uh, we could also play the game of trying to figure out which one is the third uh, secret army that will get a revamp, uh, because maybe one of those armies didn't get many changes. Um, but uh, oh, Clem, there. Let's let's keep that uh, that in mind. Um, what's well, uh, one army got no changes. So, which was mine? Yes, but they are not uh, making as a plastic a new plastic proof for them. They already have plastics. <laughs> I know, wrecking slaves. So, ah, they're, they're perfect. Already, <laughs> they're already perfect. Yeah. Um, and then, so let's, um, yeah, so let's move over the changes for the time being. Then we'll park that. So, um, I just wanted to mention actually, there's there's specific ambush scenarios in here, which I really like. I love that idea. And they are, you know, desperate stand, caravan ambush, surprise at dawn. So it's all kind of the darkest delivers. Is that right? The d darkest, darkest delvers. There we go. Um, so that's all very, very cool. Um, so as ever, dear listener, we're pushed for time. Um, is it, does any, is there any anything else? Sorry, just before we move on, guys, is there anything else anyone would like to mention? Yes. Yeah, so uh, very quickly on the scenarios, there's also scenarios for uh, full size kings of war, like the holder line scenario that we played at uh, Clash. Right. That I really like is now an official scenario. There's another one stockpile where you have more loot counter, like piles of loot counters, which I think will be quite interesting. It reminds me of um, Vanguard scenario actually. Uh, but anyway, and um, yeah, no, I think it's uh, actually is nice to see new scenarios kind of joining the game. Yeah, it keeps things fresh, doesn't it? Mike. So I wanted to listen and grab a little uh, credit here because I happen to uh, one of the members of the rules committee is in our local gaming group. And apparently he pushed one of the changes that I like a lot on it. So push is changing to where a unit can only hold one loot counter instead of as many as they like on it. And I've never liked it where you could put them all on, you know, put all three of them over in a unit and I can just keep them out of where you can never get to them. Uh, so now you have to spread them out. I agree. It's a good change. <clears throat> Do you think, though, that you can still place them on the ground? Yeah. Meaning you that can't... You, can, you can still put uh, the others in front of one unit and then carry them, pick them nope. up in turn one and two and three, nope. perhaps? A unit may not hold more than one loot counter for purposes of scoring. Oh, really? What if they destroy an enemy unit holding counters? Does that mean that you, you, you take can only away hold the, one? So you take away the incentive almost to destroy enemies holding tokens. I no. mean, you can still carry it, but you will only score one. You could and, carry three tokens oh, if you want, but you score so, just one. Oh, so you take them away from the enemy, but okay, yeah. Well, and then you, you drop one. it and give it to another unit, or you take it with a unit that doesn't hold one. Okay, yeah. But it's okay. not about I drop all three of my tokens onto my, you know, um, regenerating Kraken in the back and never put them in where you can get them. Mm, yeah. I'll, You've got to spread the, them out. Yeah, sure. Okay. It becomes a bit strange then. It, it becomes more valuable if you drop them than when you hold them. It, it introduces a new mechanic, which might be a bit of a gotcha moment for newer players. If you know what I mean, if you if you have, yeah, let's see, you get three maybe. tokens, and then like, yeah, you have three tokens, but 
you have to drop them and then have someone else pick them up to score them. <laughs> it seems a bit convoluted. I mean, let's try it out. I think I agree. Every time I've played push, I've uh, put all the loot counters on just one unit that is kind of my tanky unit. Yeah. And um, it's a very common strategy. And so to force people to not do that um, is almost like getting a new scenario in a way, right? So I like it, I think, for this reason. Yeah. Well, I like it because I'm one, I'm one who had originally suggested it. Mm. Fair enough. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> Fantastic. So what we that wanna... means is if you don't like it, blame Mike. Exactly. <laughs> yes, let's do that. Um, do we want to talk about the Night Stalker um, uh, background a little bit? Mark? Mark is the only one of us Night that's actually Stalker? read it all the way through. No, uh, he means Twilight Kid. The Twilight Kid? I'm getting tired. Oh, <laughs> you know what? Uh, the Twilight Kid fluff is really good, and it was written by C.L. Werner, so it's definitely worth the read, no doubt about it. And, uh, boy, are these boys dark and twisted. So, um Given the time we are in the pod, I will uh, give it to you a little bit in uh, chunks. But the 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 basic thing of it is um, uh, the one big elven tower that they had got blown up, you know, when um, they went for the Night Stalkers uh, or, you know, when they tried to go along the ways and they had the, um, you know, all the um, Celestians split in two and that tower blew up. So what that did was leave this giant crater in the in the uh, ground, and so that's called the Pit of Despair. So um, a bunch of the elves, after that happened, you know, they all migrated over to the Pit of Despair, and then they, the elves that went there, they ended up starting to become the Twilight Kin. So uh, from that point. And then of course they tried uh, surfing the sorry, void sorry, Mark, and doing Clement, all that. Go ahead. Question. Yeah. No, I just wanted to say the Twilight Kin are not the bad elves, they are the sad elves. I thought that was funny. Because technically it's the, the elf that went to investigate what happened to the university city, sort of. And that happened to basically be completely blown off to pieces and replaced by a huge crater. Turns out it was teleported into the void, but it's maybe not better than being blown up to pieces. I don't know. Right. Anyway. Oh, yeah. So the emo elves. So it makes sense that they're dark. So, but, um, yeah. So they did that. And uh, I'm just glossing over the story here. So, oh, the, I, mean, the other thing I, that I want I found you to cool, get the book. <laughs> yes, yes. The other thing that I found cool, sorry to interrupt, Mark, but is um, how they transformed into being like really merciless elves, like torturing people and so on, is because of the Night Stalkers, um, kind of as a protection, because when they were. Uh, going into the void, they realized that there were entities that were trying to suck their brains out, basically, sort of, I'm summarizing. And um, having slaves around that would be sucked out instead of the elves, uh, they realized was quite helpful. And also, if they are not a strong mind themselves, then they would be attacked by the Night Stalkers. And so torturing others and torturing the, uh, between um, themselves uh, to really have a strong mind was their uh, strategy to still be safe in the void, which so I, know, uh, I thought was twisted. I know but, we're uh, struggling for time, but let's just bring it back for a second. So, right. So <clears throat> there was this big thing that became, you know, there was this bad thing that happened. It became the pit of despair. Some 
perfectly normal nice elves went to investigate to see what happened of their nice university town how did they how did they go from that to you know being in the void and you know turning to evil well that's um they had their mages over there and then there was uh what is her name uh they had a leader over there who was um leaf ender um she was one of the uh leaders over there and evidently underneath one of the big lakes in the middle um there was a gemstone and inside the gemstone was a void spawn which was a creature that was the fusion of the last celestian trying to cross into panathor and one of the primordial entities that inhabits the nexus of all dimensions and so the they went to this to try to get um the last of the information that they couldn't steal from the other elves okay um and I skipped a part there, but I want you to read the book uh, <laughs> or the, you know, uh, but so they went to her and um, they decided that, well, the best thing to do is talk to this void spawn. So they put like 20 mages on these nice silken couches and stuff like that. And they went to commune with this thing. And of course they all turned black and, you know, got destroyed by the entity because uh, their minds weren't uh, strong enough. And then this lady went down there and uh, tried to commune with the thing, and she made it. And she came out more twisted than she was, but that's how they figured out how to use the void. So, and then they came up with all this other uh, stuff, um, you know, with trying to protect their void skiffs and the night ships and all that kind of stuff. So they have a leader, this Lethinder, um, that they follow. So she's the uh, dark prophetess. So she's so. the new special character in the list, Yami list. I don't think so. No, no, she's like a super, much stronger superhero. Yeah. Yeah, she's not. She's not in the army. She's but too the, good for stats. The other cool thing I think is uh, Mickey was a good guy initially. Oh yeah, this is the best part of the story for me. So yeah, Mickey was a good say, guy. Oh, Almost want to say no spoiler because I didn't read everything from uh, after that. <laughs> so well, I stopped. I was pressed for time, but uh, when I was reading it, uh, Mickey was just like a zealous worker that wasn't uh, unheard by his uh, bosses. And um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it was pretty cool. And so now I, I want to read the end of the story to uh, figure out how he became the big badass head of the of the bad guys i tell you what clem let's let's all read this and then have another crack at it for the next episode oh yeah i don't yeah i mean i give you the big drift of it but uh yeah you got to read it i mean it's really good so mikael gets uh transferred uh the interesting thing is i personally reading all this um you know the dark elves have the dark conclave and dark elves twilight kin and so you know, they, they're, there, they're more like a cult you know what i mean they're like a cult so oh yeah that's right they're kind of hidden from the rest of the world right right like for right. a very long time no one suspects that there's actually uh, bad elves uh, in the area oh that sounds really cool that sounds i love yes, that yes nice. oh yeah they're, they're kind sneaking of stealth, around and... <laughs> yes no, that was that was pretty cool the way it was uh, described and so on yeah i liked it Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then they got that. And then, of course, uh, all the elves had to band together against a big bad guy. Um, you know, it, it could, could could have come from one of Clem's armies. 
but uh <laughs> and it's uh it's very interesting you know they even got the war with winter in there saying that the twilight kin benefited from the end of the war with winter when everybody else suffered from it so yeah it's pretty cool there's some good artwork in there there's some artwork that's meh, but you know uh, i like the what, artwork a lot like the illustrations in this book are pretty cool yeah i like, I like it too i like it too yeah, absolutely even more goth gets uh mentioned in this book so yeah there's very a bit true cool. i noticed yeah, yeah. nice it all ties and in the biggest thing is though there are a lot of different references to things that we don't know about that i grabbed through there and that's what make keeps make me think that you know ronnie is you know planning a new army as opposed to a refresh so <laughs> because there's so much stuff that we don't know about. Like Ophidia gets mentioned a lot. And so I I know Matt Gilbert was working on Ophidians a long time ago, um, but maybe that'll happen. Uh, what did they say? Yeah, they also, uh, Mantica's mentioned like three times through there. And I believe it's the continent is Mantica and the world is Panathor. Is that right, Mike? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes. So, and, sorry, go Mark, everybody. Oh, I was going to say, here's this one sentence or this one little paragraph here. The Twilight Kin established emissaries in the courts of the distant East, studying the mystic knowledge in Zyran, uh, X-I-R-Y-A-N, and Yamaruto, Y-A-M-A-T-E-R-O. You can get me for my poor pronunciation. And exploring the ruins of Kong and the Mug. Hyal, M-U-G-H-A-A-L, even probing into the secrets of the infernal fractures that had opened in these lands. You know, in the farthest reaches of the underworld, they encountered the malignant murlocs, a breed of bestial dwarf-like beings who profane, whose profane technology defied every magic known to the elves. Well, there you go. You just named like four armies that, you know, <laughs> five, four or five armies right there. And just that little paragraph there. So uh, that was the fascinating thing was hearing it. And the one thing that we did hear while we were at Mantic headquarters for clash was expect the world to expand. So I, you know what, that's one of the neat things is finding all the clues reading through the fluff and uh, things like that and letting your mind kind of go, you know, where's it going to go from there? Very cool. And um, and sorry, dear listener, I, f I feel really sad we're kind of pushed for time on this because this is just fantastic. But I just wanted, Fred, you're obviously a big uh, Twilight Kin fan. Um, is there, I know it's a bit tricky because we're going over it quite quickly, but is there anything there that really chimes with you or is there anything that's changed to your knowledge since the, the you know, the, the previous edition of the army? Mm, well, I mean, the original fluff for the Twilight Kin were kind of tied into the Night Stalkers, really. And I always was a big fan of the story of how the Night Stalkers came to be. And uh, it was the same, you know, Mark touched upon it, the split of the the Fenulian mirror when the elves got sort of sucked into another dimension, uh, which was always said to be how the Night Stalkers were created. But in Second Ed, that was like the, the narrative was like that they all got turned into monstrosities, like horrors really uh, but now it's sort of changed slightly into that no they did not become horrors they actually some of them were able to 
keep some of their their elfness <laughs> also uh, and uh, keep their minds to a certain degree and uh, you know rally to to uh, not just become these twisted uh, nightmare creatures and uh, I, I always liked that and, and I, I always hoped for that to be um, the case of the of the fluff that they that there would be some elf uh, identity still in the minds of their leaders and stuff like that um, and it seems like the that's how it's become more of now and I I, I really love that that I, I never really loved the fact that these elves got just changed into these horrors um, it seemed like a waste wasted opportunity for me so I much prefer this version where they have much more identity and uh, you know they they have their minds more intact basically through this whole dimensional uh, rift thing yeah so they're not just gribbly monsters going about doing whatever gribbly monsters do there's intellect there and intelligence and yeah, yeah exactly yeah really interesting okay super so let's i if everybody's happy i think we should just do listener questions quickly and then uh, and then call it a show so there you go um, all right so chris i'll questions. read the question yeah let me read go the questions it, out yeah, please all right and then we'll uh keep her moving here but uh steve evans asks what should I do once I've finished painting my 28th army? So, Chris? Well, I mean, there's no way he's done everything, right? So let's say, for example, Twilight. Um, so let's say Trident Realm. I don't think he's done all the different unit types. So, you know, I think that's the perfect point for him to come back again and just go over all the armies again, fill in the gaps. You know, there's, it's, you know, he's, there's no way he's completed it you know kings of war you know he's I just mean, getting started i mean i have an, also heard about this game called firefight and there are even less factions in firefight so it can uh, run through them probably faster than needed for kings of war but that that's an option too there you that's go mike do you have any yeah mike, you start, you, ha- you start your 29th army that's what I was going to say. See, and <laughs> what you do is is you do like I've done back in my Warhammer days. I liked orcs and goblins. I have two orcs and go- I have two different orc and goblin armies with two different themes, two different things. I can't mix them because of the way they're painted wouldn't make any sense. So, yeah, I have two separate orc and goblin armies. So, geez, with 28 factions out there, that's at least 56 armies you could have. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Mike is throwing the gauntlet down, Steve. There you go. Fred, any advice for Steve before we move on? <laughs> yeah, I would suggest giving a couple of the armies away to players so you get more local players having Kings of War armies, and then you can make a new one. There you go. That's Great fantastic point. advice. Yeah, so, so I think what we're saying is we don't even know why Steve's bra- what Steve's bragging about. He's only just getting started, you know? <laughs> all right next one john paul fuller jackson what's everyone's favorite cheese both in kings of war and on a cracker we'll go around the horn again here so chris you're up first well on a cracker it would be i can't get it since brexit but uh red leicester cheese actually uh but uh failing that i would go for cheddar uh but uh, very patriotic cheeses um in terms of cheese in kings of war i mean to be honest that's not really us is it um i do like the um the guardian archer shooters from my eod i don't know how cheesy it is but uh showbic is cheesy showbic oh good point yeah showbic yeah although the way i play is he quite often dies you know people say showbuck he's unkillable not the way i play 
but uh yeah i'll move on to the next person there you go clem you're up next uh favorite cheese i mean the stinkier the better and uh on a cracker well no that was a bad joke uh, yeah the blue blue cheese uh blue cheese uh, i like um yeah i mean for all the shit that i've given to scorch wings someone pointed out to me at clash well you do have four regiments in your lists and that's true i do have uh, four regiments of uh, scorch wings in my uh salamanders list um so yeah i think that's uh that's it for me so you're gonna challenge Riz- rashad for the uh master of cheese uh title then huh potentially <laughs> i mean it's only four regiments so it's it's fine and uh i didn't even intended to be so good like because i sacrifice them pretty early usually so i i don't play them so well i think so it's all right it's not cheese when you play poorly there you go all right mike you're up next well i think on a cracker probably just a good beer cheese because it's that time of year Uh, and in the in the game well it's uh um i mean it has to be one of the a rat units so i would say the gorim crisis gorim paler the fact that you have a chariot that can overrun into a second unit after it destroys a unit. Uh, for a list that nobody likes, that's a great unit. <laughs> there you go. Hey, there's people that play that, uh, you know, so Mark Cunningham oh, no. plays. Yeah, yeah. So not too bad, not too bad. Fred, how about you? So I rarely eat cheese on a cracker, but I suppose if I had to, it would be Brie. Uh, but usually I like blue cheese if it's mixed with like in a salad or something. But my t- my favorite cheese would have to be a Parmigiano from Italy. Uh, when it comes from Kings of War, I think I would choose uh, in the Undead Army the Death Pack. They have stealthy, so I would call them my stealth cheese. There you go. All right. What about you, nice, Mark? Nice. And for me, let's see. I'm going to say I like Asiago cheese, so I don't get to eat it very often. So I will get it because nobody else in the family likes it. And then on the tabletop, oh, I don't know. I don't think too much about it um, as far as cheesy lists go. And I don't know if I ran into one uh, playing at Clash, except for Shobek, because I played him in the first game. Chris is Shobek, that is. So I'll, I'll just I'll just say Shobek so we can move on. So, <laughs> All right, next question. Tom King. Oh, Tom King's got two questions coming up. Uh, let's see. Tom, what effect do you think the release of the old world will have on Kings of War? This is a mup short all to its own. So yeah, it will take players away podcast. or cross. Yeah, that's a sorry, Tom. You're getting them up short on that one. So yeah, no, no. Either. Surely that's a good thing. It's because uh, yeah, we yeah. Really stretch it out and go into the details. So uh, yeah, yeah you, you could get this esteemed panel back together to talk about that. So all right, let's see, Tom. Also, what do you rate as the best Mantic faction in terms of miniature quality, and why is it goblins? So, Chris? He has a beautiful Goblins army. Uh, yeah, it really does. I, t- I totally get where he's, why he's saying that. Um, I mean, um, the quality, uh, in, in my opinion, the quality of Magic models is just going up and up and up and up. Um, having seen the new Twilight Kin models in in the plastic flesh, um, I would definitely say they're the best currently. And, you know, maybe in six months when I'm not saying that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'll pass it over to, to you guys to discuss. 
I agree. Maybe the ogres, I think, because um, the ogres for me were the first sprue where I thought, okay, now they're really going somewhere. You know, like it was really an upgrade from everything else I've done before. And it was it was it the first one done in Poland, the ogres? I yes, it was. I think so. Yes, yep. yes. Yeah, so for me, sense. for me, that's that's um, uh, the, uh, on the actual miniatures, like the the result on the quality of the skulls and everything. Um, yeah, goblins are pretty nice. Although I don't like the trolls. Uh, remove the trolls, and then I could support goblins because goblins are the best in general. But yeah, anyway. There you go, Mike. Well, I would say don't remove the trolls. Use the halfling trolls because they did leg day at the gym. Where the goblin trolls did. That is true. That is true. <laughs> but I would say that the you know the the best army right now for uh, uh, quality is going to be Twilight Kin until the new Trident Realm stuff comes out here next. All right, Fred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also Twilight Kin, Night Stalkers, mm, but also I do. He has a point about goblins though, because I bought that uh, War for the Holds uh, starter set a couple of years ago, and both the goblins and the Ratkin I think were really nice, nice to paint, and uh, yeah. So uh, I do like the new goblins uh, as well, and uh, the new halflings too. This <laughs> is starting to increase the quality now, so I can mention several armies really in one in one breath. Well, I, you took my answer there, Fred. I was going to say anything that was produced in Poland. So yeah. this new um, this new partnership they have is really paying dividends. The models are just really nice coming out of there. So mm-hmm. I think we've had Ogres, Night Stalkers, and now Twilight King come out of Poland. And, uh, yeah, very, very nice. So. Cool. The, deta- the detail is just crisper, isn't it? They just- it is. It's just, yeah. And, and you don't lose it along the side. That's the big thing. It's like, you know, if you look like at the Rift Forged Orcs and stuff, it's you've got that beautiful detail and you get to the side and it's kind of like, you know, there's a mold line and just it. And even on the goblins and the ragkin, it just the side of the model is just not as crisp as it should be. So mm. I think that's where it falls down a little bit. All right. Erasmus Berg, oh, go ahead, Mike. Just want to mention my only thing that I don't like about the, the new stuff coming out of Poland is I find it hard to find the parts for models that go together. They just seem to be randomly throughout the sprue. And you know? so I spent a lot of time just trying to find this arm, this head, this whatever to go with this body part with it. Be nice if they had some slightly better organization on it. Is that is that uh, a point for Mantic rather than the factory? I would I would guess we need to complain to Ronnie about it. Yeah, no, that is specifically been addressed. And it's because when the plastic is injected in the mold, it's got to reach all of the different parts at the same time. So they have to really craft the mold so that the plastic moves through the mold properly. So the the one thing that it uh, lets us just continue and it lets Mike continue our excellent assembly instructions over there <laughs> until someone loses an eye. So that's true. Yes. Isn't there also markings on the sprue now? So it also helps yes. a bit. But I think it is a like designed for manufacturing issue. And so I, th- I don't think Mantic has much to say about it initially. And um, the guys in Poland probably take all of the bits and move them around on the computer to create the sprue that will work well for injection. But maybe the they, Mantic could send a memo and, hey, could you please keep this bit and this bit and this bit close to each other? 
and uh, I'm sure that that could also work. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Because some of them, I don't see why they couldn't be close. They're, you know, almost, you know, it's a, a hand with a sword on it. So why can't you have it next, you know, the A hand with a sword go next to the A body instead of somewhere else on it? So there you go, Ronnie. Not having things all, you know, in separate areas where you used to have all the heads together, all the arms together, etc. cetera. Uh, I, I can guess I can understand that for manufacturing, but. Still, to, to when you look at this and think, okay, why is this arm over here instead of right next to it where there's one that's almost like it? There you go. All right. I would, I would just say, though, Mantic have been doing so well recently. These are the level of complaints we now have, you know, that this would be really nice, but it's very much a nice to have, you know. Super. There you fantastic. go. Well, we've got one more question from Mr. Berger, and uh, this is actually a nice way to wrap up the show. Would be nice to hear your thoughts on the obvious question, actually. What do you think about the new Twilight Kin? And we'll go around the horn. So, Chris. Um, I think they're an incredibly cool army. I think it fits in really well with what Mantic are trying to do. I think it feels like, again, a step up uh, to, to the last thing they rolled out. It just feels like they're, they're really focused. Everything's pulling together nicely. The models, the rules, the law, it all seems, not that I read the law, apologies to your listener, but everything they're doing, they have a singular vision for this and it feels focused and really, really on point. The quality is just so high and I'm just, I'm really, really impressed. Nice, Clem. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it already uh, in the pod earlier. I think uh, I agree with what Chris said as well just now. I like to see a really mantic army, like their own take on on the trope, and uh, they've they've done something nice with it. And uh, at this stage, I wish uh, they had a second wave of them coming because I like the style. And um, yeah, but it's also cool that uh, they can build on top of the already existing Night Stalker uh, sprues. So now you have a lot of plastic for this army. But uh, yeah, so I think it's uh, it's it's a really well designed army, and I I like to see it solidly mantic, solidly in Panithor, and with cool models that I wanna that I wanna assemble and paint. So yeah, I think it's a success. Beautiful, Michael. Well, the fact they're pushing this out with four different plastic sprues simultaneously is just amazing on it. Not only that. Um, but they're also embracing the vault where the assassin is going to be available in the vault only with it. So they're going for something pretty much for everybody. And in fact, when I was talking to Kyle Przlinski, I think that there's going to be more stuff coming out in the vault so that the entire range is going to be covered with brand new models on it. Wow. All right, Fred. Uh, yeah, no, I, I like the army. Um, I, the models are good. And the rules are, are good, and I like that they have options now for many of the units. You can tweak them slightly. You can buy some of the units, like either bare bones, or you can give them one of three upgrades to tweak your army. You can go like plus one melee, or you can go the plus one defense, you know, one turn only. So it, I like that they have uh, introduced that option to give players much more agency to tweak their units. Um, yeah, the use of auras is lovely. I really like that part. You can move around your heroes, put your auras where you need them. Yeah, nice, flexible army, you know, good models. Uh, yeah, thumbs up. <laughs> 
There you go. For myself, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's got some little bits of innovation in there. Um, hoping we don't stray into too difficult of territory. But uh, from what I also understand is that this list is more balanced against the other lists in the Clash of Kings 24 with all the unit adjustments and everything, which is good because it came out in the same book as those armies. So that is very, very cool. And I got to like them because while I sat down with Ronnie and uh, made my order at Clash of Kings on the pre-order before I left uh, when I was visiting. And so I've got a lot of them coming, so I better like them. But <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's going to be fun. The models are great. We saw them in person. We were not allowed to take pictures or anything. But, um, yeah, they're much better looking in person than they are in the photos. Really amazing stuff. So, all right. Well, it has been an episode for the ages. We're coming up on uh, – Almost yep. four hours, kids. So uh, Mark, it's I been think great. You missed, a, you missed a question. We could close in one word each. Like, the, what's your best guess for the yet-to-be-released army next year? Oh, I don't see that, but okay, go ahead. That let's was the do last that. Yeah, let's let's uh, say goodbye to everyone and uh, wrap up with this, and everyone makes a prediction. There you go. We'll say goodbye around the horn. Okay, Chris. I'm going to stick with Sylvan Kid. There you go. Clem? Um, I think your your map short episode convinced me that uh, there's something around herd and forces of nature. There you go, Michael. Ophidians. Oh, that's a new army. Oh. I know. I, after reading this book, I thought the same thing. So, but uh, <laughs> very good, Fred. I, I didn't even catch the question. What was the question, Clem? The most changed army for next year? No, no, you know, um, Roni announced that they will redo three armies in 24. Oh, so the first yeah. one is the Trident Realm that we already know. Yep. We know the next one is Forces of the Abyss, although we don't know exactly what they will bring in um, or like do in plastic. And the also, third, which army the would be... Re- yes, oh. the third army. And the only thing he, he, he said was, it's an army that Mantic does not do plastics for yet. Oh, shit. Oh, it's hard. I wish the answer was normal elves, but it's probably not. Um, so you could stick to elves and say you wish it was elves. That's, that's my answer. Redo your a, elves. That would be great. Thank you. That's a fair answer. <laughs> there you go. And my answer. Thank you, Clem. I have deduced for my analysis as long as it's not a new army. If it's a new army, I'm going with Fidians with Michael. If it is a redo of a current mantic army i am going to say it's the herd so we'll see how it goes so if you want to hear a little bit more on that go back and listen to the mup short uh it's the episode before this one and you can listen to gad and i go over all the armies and uh, put our guesses together so it's a very interesting episode so all right sounds good well chris do you want to take us out yeah, first I just wanted to say thank you ever so much, guys, for joining us. And, uh, yeah, this has been, even for us, this has been a very long episode. So uh, both Mike and Fred, I'm really looking forward to just having you back to talk about those big topics we didn't get to discuss today. Uh, so we'll we'll get around to it, dear listener. We've got more content to come. Uh, get in touch with us if you're interested in, in helping us uh, – uh, make MUP content. That would be fantastic for MUP shorts. Uh, but I just want to say thank you guys. Thank you, dear listener, for listening all the way to the end. You know, you're our, everyone that listens this far is our real, you're our real fans. You're the you real know? hero. 
you're the real hero so um thank <laughs> you guys great. Have, thanks had guys. a great time thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me